I mean, what's pro football focus doing? Last week they had Brady. This week they got Brady. We're doing it. We're literally doing it differently from everybody else. Hey, as a matter of fact, moving forward from this point on, I will not make reference to PFL. Do you not understand that they are that way because you're Joe Flacco? And you just like to discredit things that people deserve credit for. That you can't possibly be expected to defend that. Talk about the game, Sam. So Who cares about what people think about us. Yeah, I like football, I like football season, all the things that go with it. Welcome in to the PFF NFL Podcast. Steve Palazzolo back here with Sam Bonson, and we are ready to review all of the Week 11 NFL action. Another crazy week, Sam. But first, a little teaser. We did pitch and hit the other day. Yeah. I pitched to you the other night and over at the see, University of Cincinnati. Nobody has a cast. There's no massive injury that's taken place. We don't know that I didn't hit you, but it, if, if it did, maybe it didn't hurt all that much. Right. So Wednesday is when we'll actually cover this. We'll have a video. We'll tell the whole story, et cetera, et cetera. But this show is already nine and a half hours long. We don't have that kind of time on a Monday. We don't. So it happened. It may happen again because our catcher let us down and we owe somebody the stretch goal of me doing it as a catcher. But the main thing happened. There will be video evidence on Wednesday. Now we're into the games. And it was fun. We ran out a little, you know, started to get dark. Big shout out to the various people. Again, Wednesday. But, you know, Stinger Bats for hooking us up with the equipment. UC for letting us in their building, which is pretty awesome. Yeah, that was great. They let us in on a, on a Friday evening. And uh, we got to uh, got to have some fun, and we'll get you guys uh, some footage on all that. And uh, yeah, it was great. So uh, we're live on YouTube as always on a Monday morning. We're going to review all of the Week Eleven action. Of course, the PFF NFL Daily also around to help cover the action. We covered the Patriots a little bit on Friday morning. So if you're looking for some Patriots Falcons analysis, it's on the PFF NFL Daily on that feed uh, from Friday morning. Uh, today on the Daily, we talked about kind of the things that are real, things that might be uh, not so real coming out of yesterday. We'll get into all of it. You mocked my title suggestion. What's it? What signal and what's noise? Signal and noise. Up? Yeah. Is that what we did? I what did think we, end we up changed it because you mocked it. I just felt like something uh, the uh, analytics dorks would come up with. Maybe I'm an analytics dork. No, that's, you don't be. I'm trying to keep you grounded here. Oh, yeah? That's not exactly Also, I don't have the mathematical skills to be one of those people. No, you don't. Uh, you ready to go? Yeah. Week 11 review. Let's start with the Indianapolis Colts with a dominant, I say that word a lot too, 41-15 to 15 victory over the Buffalo Bills. Uh, I think most people would look around and say, this is one of the surprises of the week. But based off uh, my conversations with you, you weren't terribly surprised by this. You, you saw this one coming. You saw a lot of things coming. No, no, no. Look, I, I, saw, I saw the Texans game coming. That, that's the one where if you go back and listen to the preview show, I basically nailed that in the intro to that topic. Um, this one, I thought there was a very real chance. I thought Indianapolis would definitely cover, and I thought there was a real chance they would win this game outright. I didn't think they would win 41-15. Yeah. Like, that part is a major surprise. But the idea that the Indianapolis Colts would go there, would be able to um, establish serious control on the ground, rack up a ton of points, put that Buffalo offense in the same rough spot, that a bunch of teams have put them in recently, except the Jets, because, you know, the Jets are terrible. That's, that part's not surprising. Yeah, it's nice having new graphics, except uh, when it reminds people who we picked. 
Oh, yeah. In these games. But, again, like, you know, it's... You changed your pick by the time you were going live on uh, the PFF no, 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 no. This show. is like... I, the, my point was that hammer the indie covering the line, right? The, the, we're, we're, we're being... Frankly, we're being Those undone. Those money line picks? This is the thing. Frankly, we're being undone by the, by the producers here. Right? Yeah, we really are. The people in the booth are screwing us because the whole point was that this was definitely... The, the Colts would definitely cover. And they covered by about yeah. 35 points. I mean, I don't, I don't like this because... Because uh, it reminds people we got it wrong? Well, I mean, most people don't remember our, our takes <laughs> from, from Thursday yeah. or from the weekend. And we could just lie. Like, oh, I said. I said Indy was definitely going to do this. Yeah. You know? So, anyway. Uh, 32 carries for 185 yards. Four yeah. touchdowns just on the ground. Another one through the air for Jonathan Taylor. They won a game 41-15 where Wentz had 106 passing yards. Yeah, I mean, look, the Buffalo... The Buffalo defense has been the league's best this this year, and usually when you have the league's best defense, it's not because you're great at stopping the run, it's because of what you do in the passing game. And Buffalo was still pretty good in the passing game. They just got absolutely demolished on the ground. And then on the other side, we had talked about the Colts, yeah, having having the defense to stay patient, right? Having the defense to to play the the really deep safeties. And they did, and Jonathan Allen came back with uh one of those really, really volatile Josh Allen games with four turnover-worthy plays and, uh, you know, two two actual interceptions, a couple more that he got away with. A couple of those were late as well, but, you know, like getting getting strip-sacked with the ball just taken straight out of his hands. You know, mm-hmm. there are plays like that that um, also contributed to the uh, thrashing that the Colts put on the Bills here. Thrashing. Thrashing is a good word. Yeah. Um, I mean, dominant. I'm trying to get away from dominant I like as much thrashing. as possible. Yeah. yeah. It's just thrashing always, you know, it's always connected in my brain to like those old English, you know, turn of the century type of accents. That's what I'm going for, yeah. Yeah. I, I just don't, you're not a, a person I would associate with that, that accent and Thank therefore you. that turn of phrase, but I like it. Yeah, thanks. Appreciate it. So what else coming out of this game now? The other takeaway here, we mentioned that the, we talked about the uh, Patriots. And Mac Jones maybe for Rookie of the Year coming out of Thursday. The Patriots are now officially in first place. Yeah. Buffalo dropped Buffalo from... Weapons. The second seed to – did they end up in sixth, seventh? Yeah, usually drop pretty far because you don't – But the Chargers won, the so – But they might have dropped all the way to seven. Did they? I haven't checked the standings since last night. I don't know. All I know is there was a 35 run defense grade for the Bills defense. 35. This was shades of last year where we, where we would say, look, the Bills are a little undersized up front. You can attack them with the running game. Maybe not to this, uh, to this level of extreme – um, but they're, you know, this highlights maybe if there's if there's a weakness in you know in Buffalo, it is you know playing power football, and it's also the Colts continuing to come together. I mean, they have Chris mentioned it last night too. They've got two overtime losses. I always reference the Ravens one because they blew a twenty-two to three lead, but they did lose the Colts in overtime to the Tennessee Titans a couple weeks ago. And it's not a like if you take those games out, but if you know a bounce goes here and there, we're talking about the Colts legitimately right in the thick of the AFC and they kind of are anyway they are just yeah, yeah I mean they are they are anyway at six and five because the AFC is so wide open they're half a game back from Buffalo who are in the right. seventh seat all I'm saying is it could have been even better for the Colts but they have finally reestablished again what we thought they could be coming into the year yeah they, I mean a huge part of it is since they've had that offensive line back now Quentin Nelson left the game injured um but since they've had that offensive line, they have been crushing people on the ground. Heading into that game, 
They were averaging seven and a half yards per carry in the last couple of games, four yards per carry before contact, which is like two yards more than anybody else. Um, they're a completely different team when they have their offensive line there. And they match up well against Buffalo because their defense plays the kind of system that has been causing Buffalo and Kansas City some problems. So the narrative from the Chiefs for most of the season, quietly that was happening to Buffalo as well, only people didn't really notice as much. Um, and then whereas the the Chiefs had their get-right game against the Raiders, who just don't play that type of defense— the Bills had it against the Jets, who might play that type of defense, but don't play any type of defense well enough for it to matter. So Buffalo just did whatever the hell they wanted against the Jets, and you're like, oh, well, forget that then. But the Colts go out there and play the type of defense that frustrates and causes those quarterbacks to make mistakes, and Josh Allen made mistakes. Now, the other thing, this will caveat a bunch of games this week, but there were crappy conditions everywhere. Sure. This was one of those games where, I'm telling you this off-air, Woke up and it's pouring rain outside. Drive in for our pregame show, like leave. It's just raining all day. And then you turn on, you know, Red Zone and you turn on the TV for the games. And it's like most of the country is raining. Right. You're like, okay, immediately this week, you're gonna, it's going to be one of those weeks, right? When the entire country is raining, there's going to be some ugly, crappy football and connected to that weird results. Because nothing changes the outcome of games more than weird turnovers left and right. So there are a bunch of these games where there are a lot of turnovers. There's a lot of sloppy football. There's, it, there's just plays that don't normally happen, which are going to swing the outcome of games. No, no, no week more famous, I don't think, than that, that week in 2013, back when we were doing the grading and all that stuff. It's like week 12, week 13. Yeah, I remember it was uh, Lions-Eagles in the crazy snow. It was like a foot of snow across the country. I like that. When the whole country is just dealing with the same. Like, there's just snow. That was like four or five snow games the same. Yeah. Thing. I think snow games, though, actually impact it less than rain. Rain is just terrible. Depends on how bad the snow is. If it's Sure. But, like... If it's ankle high, it's... But even then, like, know, it's... Shin high, it's a, it's a thing. It's a thing, but it impacts the game in a different way. Whereas rain is just bad for everything. Like, rain yeah. causes sloppy football and turnovers and chaos. Snow tends to just affect the game in a different way. So coming out of this game here, by the way, um, we've been making a few Bills-Chiefs similarities. Play too high, make the, make the ma- huge playmaking quarterback patient and all that stuff. The thing we kept saying about the Chiefs in recent weeks when they were struggling offensively was, you know what, it's, the offensive line still playing well. This is the Bills' highest pass-blocking grade of the season. And I know it felt like Josh, Josh Allen was under pressure a couple weeks ago against the Jaguars, and it felt like, hey, the line, the offensive line could be this issue, right? The offensive line, the run game, they just don't have balance on offense, and they don't have other answers and all that stuff. The O-line played well, and Allen was still putting the ball in harm's way. I mean, to me, that is the concerning part, but also that similar blueprint against the Chiefs, which is, you know, give the underneath stuff uh, and make that quarterback patient, and we just did not— Get that from and the if you look yesterday. at the if you look at the breakdown, the coverages like the Colts did exactly. They did that game plan: cover two, cover six, quarters. That's basically all they ran. They had a couple of snaps here or there of cover one, cover three, but this was the game plan. Like they literally ran the exact blueprint to cause Kansas City and Buffalo problems, and the Bills had no answer to it. In addition to like just crushing them on the ground, like this was. The perfect storm of how to beat Buffalo. Bills are now 6-4. and four. Now, coming out of this, they got a quick turnaround. They'll be playing Thanksgiving night at New Orleans, you know, for whatever that's worth, for whatever the Saints are, uh, is left of the Saints right now. But then 
Patriots on Monday Night Football, I believe it is, or some uh, some sort of primetime game. They have two games against the Patriots in like the next three, four games. Uh, it's week 13 and week 16. But they have New England at home at Tampa Bay, Ooh. then Carolina and Cam. Ooh, how about that? Cam and uh, – I mean, it's Carolina and Cam versus Buffalo and the new Cam and Josh Allen, right? And, the new Cam. I mean, McDermott and like all those connections. And then at New England again before finishing with the Falcons and the Jets. So uh, pretty critical time here for the Bills. And again, for Indianapolis, they're at 6-5 and five and right in the middle of everything in the AFC. Not, not as much in the South where, you know, the Titans still – uh, you know, have it uh, not completely in hand, but, you know, the Titans are in control of the South. Yeah, they need a lot to go their way for them to take the division, but they're firmly in the chase for that those wildcard spots. But the Colts have the Bucks next week at home. They have New England coming up soon. They've got the Cardinals at some point. They've got the Jaguars later. So uh, interesting turn here for the Colts who have just uh, – They've been scoring a ton of points. They've scored at least 30 points in five out of their last six games, which makes last week's game against Jacksonville kind of a, almost a weird anomaly here in the middle of it. So impressive win by the Indianapolis Colts. Uh, working from home, more important than ever now, optimize your home office with an X-chair. And our many accessories to enhance your focus, productivity, energy, and comfort. Already feeling that at home because once you feel the customized support of X-chair's patented dynamic variable lumbar, that's the DVL, there is no going back. Look at this. It's a, wow. You can see the DVL right there. This is fantastic. Kudos to the producers. I like that. It's a, uh, look at that as a label. This is a DVL. That's the DVL. So that's where you get the – if you do get the uh, LMX massage and temperature regulation. Again, when I wake up early in the morning, my office is freezing cold, so I throw the heater on there, throw the massage on there. It's exclusively designed and made for X-Chair. And with versatile comfort and extraordinary design, X-Chair fits – any space. Look at that. LMX cooling, heat, and massage chair. I'm going to need it this summer, too, because my, you know, my office gets really, really hot as well. So the cooling will be perfect. High performance, quality engineering, extreme comfort. Those are the reasons I love my X chair. X chair. Now I can't wait to be at work. And sometimes, even if I'm not working, I just sit in the X chair just to get that feeling. That's what I do. Take my advice. Try X chair for yourself. Risk-free for 30 days. Go to xchairnflpod.com. That's the letter X, chair, nflpod.com, or call... 1-844-X-CHAIR for $100 off your order. Huge, great deal. X-CHAIR has a 30-day guarantee of complete comfort, and you can finance your purchase for as little as $30 a month. It's X-CHAIR, NFLPod.com. If you're watching on YouTube, check out the link in the description. And a special shout-out to the producers for putting the chair up there because you can see how nice it is. Mm. And you can customize it all sorts of different colors, a lot of options in there. Colors, I got a really good option, but yeah. there's a lot of different options. Colors, materials, different types of wheels. There's all kinds of stuff, and they are stupidly comfortable. Yeah, so appreciate uh, X-Chair, new sponsor here on the podcast. But that's an insane – so $100 off, $30 a month financing potential, and 30 days free. This is – that's a deal. It's a lot of things we're throwing at you there. A lot of things. Remember uh, the link, though, because that's where we get credit. Yeah, yeah, yeah do the, <laughs> use the link. Uh, Washington football team 27, Carolina Panthers 21. Uh, a sneaky good game this week as the, the football team moves to 4-6. and six, The Panthers fall – to five and six, Cam Newton with his first start. More good than bad, I'd say, in there, Sam. But uh, there was a fourth quarter comeback opportunity for Cam and the Panthers. It just just did not go well. Got get sacked late uh, on the last play. Robbie Anderson, nice play along the sideline. Well, should have. It was a nice throw along the sideline. Robbie Anderson didn't stay in bounds. Kind of hurt that comeback effort. But another solid win for the football team. Back to back wins now against the Bucks and the Panthers. Nobody is out of the playoffs 
Like, yeah. it, in the hunt. Right. Everybody, this, the entire league this year is conspiring to keep everybody in the hunt forever. I like it. I think the only team officially eliminated are the Lions. I think everyone else is technically still Sounds alive, right. um, including the Giants, who <laughs> play tonight. Uh, we finally got a good Taylor Heineke game. Yeah. Like, this is the high close end. last week. He had a couple turnover-worthy plays he got away with last week, but this was pretty clean. Yeah. Heineke. This was the first in a long time game where you just get the high end of Taylor Heineke. This is the game we've been waiting for, where it's like, you know, Ryan Fitzpatrick in order to spit out this average grade over the course of a season, is going to have a couple of grades in the 90s, a couple of grades in the 30s, and bounce around all over the place. And given that Taylor Heineke is basically just Ryan Fitzpatrick, but younger and clean-shaven, you were expecting a similar thing. But we hadn't had this high-end Taylor Heineke game. Like, the closest he'd come since the playoff game, which is still the best game he's ever had, um was that game on, was it Thursday night against the Giants way back in like week two? We're like, oh, look, Taylor Heineke may have it to be a starting quarterback. Then it's just kind of bad Heineke from that point on. Finally, we got like the high end, a couple of dimes, a couple of, let's say, optimistic passes to to Terry McLaurin, which I think are generally not bad ideas because Terry McLaurin is amazing. Sure. Um, And everything kind of came up his way. You know, I think... When you look at this one, and I'm going to mention this in the, the Minnesota game, I, I do think the impact of that that legit true number one. I mean, t- uh, Terry McLaurin had exactly half of Taylor Heineke's passing yards or the, the receiving yards for the football team, 103 yards out of Heineke's 206. You know, you've got two big plays in there, a touchdown in there as well. Uh, but I think it just shows the impact, what, what the, the impact of what a true number one wide receiver can have on a game where the rest of the receiving core, you know, Adam Humphreys was number two, you know, for, for Washington, but one guy can kind of carry the load there. And I think you're starting to see the football team, you know, the defense playing a little bit more true to what we were expecting coming into the season, as far as performance, even though they were going to get worse and all that stuff with all the quarterbacks they were playing. But uh, yeah, they're, they're in the hunt like everybody else and dangerous. Got to be a disappointing game though. For the Carolina Panthers, right? I mean, you if you're the Carolina Panthers sitting there at 5-5 five and five with low expectations probably coming into the season, outside, outside expectations, yeah, you, get, you jump out to a 3-0 and start, Sam Darnold implodes, you've won a game with P.J. Walker against the, the best team in the NFC, and now you've got MVP Cam Newton, right? I mean, it would be an easy narrative to say, Carolina is hanging out at five and five. They've got the number seven seed, and now you upgrade your quarterback position to Cam Newton. It's got to be disappointing that you know Carolina comes out of this with a loss when, on paper, it'd be. Like, I'm sure they're looking, being like, "All right, we're going to try to get to ten wins here. We're going to get into the playoffs." And uh, not a great start now to the uh, the the second Cam Newton era in Carolina. Yeah, they they've made all these moves as if they <laughs> they expect to be a playoff team this year, and. As we just said, everybody is in the hunt, so it's not like they're out of the picture, but they've that was an important game to drop um, and was problematic in terms of their aspirations for the playoffs. Washington are, are another one of these teams where, so they're four and six, which is obviously not a particularly strong position to be in in terms of chasing the playoff spots, even the wild card spots where you know, you're a game back from teams like Minnesota who are starting to look like one of those teams that's going to snag the, the, the wild card spots. But because of the way the NFL has like scheduled all these division games, 
Washington still plays Dallas twice. Like, they're three games back from Dallas, but two of those three games are against Dallas. So they effectively only need to pick up a game somewhere else in the schedule over the Cowboys to all of a sudden be ahead of them in the standings. Like Philadelphia are in a similar spot. They're five and six uh, with two games back from Dallas. Like, there's a lot of these teams that don't look or look like they're miles away from the playoff picture. But with every team in the NFL dropping random games that you don't expect them to lose, um, like it's still wide open. You're you're really just going right for the uh, – you're looking at the NFC East still. You're trying to hold on to your preseason priors with, with the football team making their no, run? No, I don't, I don't think they're going to do it. I'm just saying that there – are, There are meaningful games there. There's a lot of right? teams now that are in weird positions where they don't look like they're – like, you know, you pull up those in-the-hunt graphics, right? And it's like, oh, the Giants are still in the hunt. Like, what a joke this is. But, like, there are teams like Washington that are quite a way back that could very quickly flip that picture. And the way this season is going, that's more likely now than it usually is, is what I'm saying. Uh, yeah, I want to connect this to uh, Philadelphia as well because, you know, now they're 5-6. and six, Yeah, and they've and- already played at, at the Cowboys once. So they, they're one right. down. They only have one game against Dallas, but... Similar idea. I mean, if you're looking at uh, the football, look, Dallas is a tough game, no matter what. But if you're looking at the football team schedule, they did hit this rough. I mean, they they face some really good teams along the way here, including the Chiefs, Packers, the the, the Bucks, who they who they beat. And you're saying, hey, well, you know, we've got some got some opportunities here with, with two games against the Eagles and two games against the Cowboys, mm-hmm. and then the Giants. What a their last five games are all division games. Right. Old school NFC East, baby. But also they've got, like, Seattle, who all of a sudden suck because their quarterback has got mallet finger. Um, the Raiders, who have fallen apart. Like, their schedule, which looked brutal a while ago, all of a sudden is a little bit easier than we thought it was. I, again, I'm not saying Washington's going to do anything. I think they're not a particularly good team. But all of a sudden, there's the capacity for that team to catapult themselves up the playoff standings pretty quickly. Uh, any thoughts on Carolina? Coming out of this? Um, yeah, I mean, I think Carolina, without meaning to quote Dennis Green, they are who we thought they are, right? They're like, okay. Yeah. <laughs> Cam Newton didn't transform them from okay into something better. He is a better quarterback than they've had on the roster so far this season, and it still wasn't enough. They had all their – I mean, they had Cam back there, and, and it, and it kind of – like on paper, if you saw the – the stats or the results, you're like, oh, Christian McCaffrey, 10 carries for 59. Cam had his 10 carries and a really nice touchdown run. Uh, nice seam pass from Cam Newton to Christian McCaffrey. Like, you're tapping into those into those pass catchers. Um, I'm, I'm really – I described this the other day as maybe the best group of receivers that Cam Newton has thrown to because DJ Moore is really good because you have McCaffrey coming out of the backfield. Um, I don't want to completely overrate Robbie Anderson not staying in bounds when he should have along the sideline, but five catches for 30 yards for him. He had been having a disappointing season, but if a receiver has a disappointing season, how much do you blame the quarterback right. and usage pattern and all that stuff? But so far, not a great start for Robbie you know, combined with Cam Newton. So the Panthers are going to be, yeah, I think what we, what we expected, you know, just, just okay of a football team. But I think they just have more offensive potential that they did not they do, completely yeah. tap into here. Like, Cam Newton is a clear upgrade over Sam Darnold. But the question is, how much and can it offset the problems that they have? Like, both guards in this game had a pass-blocking grade of 32 or lower. Um, they had, you know, Pat Elfline is starting for them as well. Like, they, the offensive line is problematic. Their defense, which is like the strength, 
got torched. I mean, they have a ton of rough grades on the defensive side of the ball, which is the side you expect to, you know, keep them keep their head above water. Like that's the that's the issue in today's NFL with having a team where your defense is the strength. Is that sure? Overall, that might be the the case, but like on a week to week basis, even the best defenses in the NFL can just get lit up one day by a random team like Washington. You know what I mean? Right. Like defense is just too unstable to to lean on as the thing that's going to carry your team unless you have one of those transcendent absurd defenses you just can't expect it to carry you every week well let's stay in the nfc east and discuss eagles 49 saints i'm sorry 40 saints 29 40 to 29 eagles scoring points again so yeah as i said they moved to five and six. First batch of games by the way headed to uh, premium stats 2.0 oh they're all headed right now yep so Which breaking news you can get Breaking news. Premium Stats 2.0. They're getting their games. If you guys have PFF Elite, you guys can get them right now as they head over there. Our team's been up all night reviewing these things. And, of course, you can get 25% off any PFF subscription using the promo code NFLPOD. Everybody's, people have been listening. Mm-hmm. And they said, look, we want to be a part of the, uh, of the action here. And we don't want to use anyone else's promo code. We want to use the NFL Pod promo code. We appreciate that. Yeah. So if you're a multi-podcast listener here at PFF, which I'm sure you are. That you're going to use our pod, your, our our, uh, our promo code well, NFL Pod. We were the first pod. We we likely captured, we're the flagship. We captured your attention first. We're the flagship, and yeah. we would appreciate it if you uh, if you gave us yeah. some indication that that was the well, case by the using other, our promo code. The other guys are like, oh, you know, a higher percentage of our listeners are converting and stuff. It's like, yeah, but you don't have millions and millions of listeners. It's true. You know what I mean? Like the percentage of millions is always going to be it's very hard to get a large percentage of millions and yeah. millions. But with your help. We can. We can get that high percentage. So it's 25% off using NFL Pod. Anyway, this was I, the, the box score. I, I, sometimes, you know, we, we're anti-box score here at PFF, but sometimes I like the picture that it paints, anti-box right? box score. Yes. The picture that this paints for the Eagles <clears throat> back in August, if you're like, this is, this is what an Eagles game is going to look like. Miles Sanders, Jalen Hurts, and Jordan Howard, so of course two running backs and the quarterback, all have more than 10 carries. Jalen Hurts leads the way with 18 they have 50 total carries. Even Boston Scott had six. Yeah. Uh, but 50 total carries for the Eagles on the ground compared to about 27, 28 dropbacks. It's like, okay, that's the type of game I thought the Eagles might play. And, uh, yeah, they, they're a power running team now. The more the Eagles season goes on, the more I come to question just what the hell they were doing for the first, like, seven, eight weeks of the season. This was not what the offense looked like. And then they... It, it's like they accidentally figured out their identity. Like they ran into Detroit, and all of a sudden they just wrecked the Lions on the ground with that offensive line and the run game. And it's like anybody you gave a carry to in that game was going to rack up five yards plus per carry, just dominate. And all of a sudden Jalen Hurts doesn't have the ball in his hands every single snap trying to make something happen. And it's like from that point on, they were just like, oh, you know what, this, this is actually – this is better than what we were doing before. Why don't we just do this in every game? Like, if we crush teams on the ground, all of a sudden the entire offense is better. We move the ball constantly. Jalen Hurts doesn't have to do everything all by himself. The receiving game, like, the receivers look better because they're they're not expected to do everything. And it makes total sense. Like, this is clearly what the Eagles should have been if Jalen Hurts is your quarterback. I I. Don't understand how it took them eight weeks to like accidentally discover this. Sometimes I just like to look at points per game. Again, I feel like I'm I'm leaning on some pretty broad stats here. Yeah. But just to paint a picture, right? 
If I told you that the Eagles were averaging the same points per game as the Rams this season, what would you say? I know they're coming off a 40 that just, you know, brought it up a little bit, but the Rams are at 27.1, the Eagles are at 27. And this also includes, this is just points, it's not just offense. It's, you know, the, the pick six from Dar- uh, Darius Slay, fumble six last week. All I'm saying is a Jalen Hurts-led offense you know that team is scoring a ton of points and this perception that the rams i know they're coming off their worst weeks and the eagles are trending the other way but this is uh there are there's perception being changed a little bit here and the eagles i think it, you know as they've changed their offensive identity a little bit uh it is working you know relying on that offensive line relying on jalen hurts in the design run game where he did have three touchdowns total but design run game to keep defenses off balance, create easier, easier throws, take pressure off him as a passer because they're starting to score more points without Jalen Hurts actually playing as well as he maybe did early in the season, throw for throw. And uh, it's a different it's a different world. And I think this is, again, what I think we discussed about the Eagles coming into the season. I felt like Hurts and playing this style would get them to like a potentially 500 record. They were either going to look like a completely rebuilding team or they were going to have games like this where they're running the ball like crazy and they beat some pretty good teams. Um, so, yeah, the Eagles, another one of those teams that might be tough to tough to play week yeah. in, week out here. And just like look at the offensive line grades, right? Jordan Mailata, 87 uh, pass blocking grade. Um, Landon Dickinson, 83. Jack Driscoll, 83. Lane Johnson, 84. Like that offensive line is a monstrous unit. I do not understand how it took them so long to work out that that should actually be the platform on which they build the entire offense. But now that they have, again, the Eagles are another one of these teams that are different to what they were earlier in the season. Um, And again, they've got a shot of overhauling a team like Dallas. If the Cowboys drop a couple of games and if Philadelphia wins their game against Dallas and all of a sudden they can catapult themselves not just back into the wild card spots but back into the 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 top of that division dallas goddard uh re-signed to a to a big deal he was uh, the top free agent tight end in our uh free agent top 50 our initial top 50 so goddard is now signed and locked up for the eagles and they will they will be one of the most discussed teams this offseason sam because of those three pending first round picks and depending on the way this season ends we'll be talking about the eagles quite a bit this offseason but yeah they're just uh uh, interesting story as we get to the second half here. A team that we, you know, looked like you might be able to write them off early in the year at times, but they keep, you know, coming back and lurking around here. And you see at one point in this game, um, Marcus Davenport tried to have a fight with Jordan Mailata. Oh, man, what a... How many people on the planet do you think are a worse idea to start a fight with than Jordan Mailata? I mean, that's like... Yeah, but Marcus Davenport, man... Yeah. That's Hulk Hogan. Marcus Davenport is outweighed King by Kong about Bundy. 80 pounds from Jordan, to yeah. Jordan Mylata. So was Hogan against King Kong Bundy at WrestleMania That's like 2. me starting a fight with you. No, it's not exactly. Because <laughs> as, as you get closer to giant status, the difference in weight matters less. I mean, it still matters quite a lot. Like I've seen Marcus Davenport completely engulf quarterbacks at his like, 6'8", 270 or whatever he is. Yeah. And my so that is completely. a massive difference. And my ladder can completely engulf Davenport. Yeah, but when you're starting at 270 versus, you know, 340, whatever, you know, my is. 365. 365. Yeah, it's, it's Hogan Bundy, <laughs> WrestleMania 2. And Davenport, I think maybe you can body, body slam him and take him. You think? It's a good battle. It's a good battle. 
Those, I, I every would. now and again, that's also one of those matches, uh, matchups, not not wrestling matches, matchups. I like to go back and watch, and you just see the see the back and forth between just behemoths and really good players like that. Uh, my lot of continues to be in just an unbelievable story as a former rugby player turned legitimate starter in the NFL. Um, on the Saints side here, Sam, they now fall to five and five. Now they're they're reeling after their big win against the Bucks a couple weeks ago. And, you know, Trevor Simeon, this is the worst of his three starts now. And he was still okay. Like, yeah. dude, they just don't have receivers. Nobody. Yeah. Like, Simeon... The roster, the roster kind of caught up to them. It's not, it's not all Simeon blame. But yeah, like I'm this saying was... the, the 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 perimeter, the 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 roster on the perimeter, I think was is catching up to the Saints there. Yeah, this was a game that was more, it was closer to what you would expect from Trevor Simeon than the last couple of games were that have been like legitimately clean, you know, impressive performances from him. This game, you saw a bit more uh, in terms of just like bad mistakes. Um, like he threw the ball basically straight to a linebacker, bad accurate, bad inaccurate pass, trying to hit his tight end the sideline. This was more what you would expect from Simeon. There was also a bunch of big time throws in there as well, which is less what you would expect from Simeon. But sure, they were just like they're just undone by who is he throwing to? Like the the margin for error when you don't have receivers that can get open and make consistent plays without the quarterback just feeding it to them. Uh, into a tight window is is kind of crazy, and they've got nobody. Like the I, Saints made it interesting. They did. Yeah. They did try to make a second half comeback. Um, ultimately, I think it's it's the Saints with eight missed tackles just in the run game alone. Uh, Quan Alexander missed a bu- uh, missed a bunch. PJ Williams missing, Williams missing a couple. The, the one of the strengths of the Saints defense was, or the strengths of the Saints was their run defense, and that just wasn't there yesterday overall. The uh, Darius Lay's pick six. By the way, he's got like three touchdowns in the last three, four weeks. Something yeah, insane. I mean, he's a big part of that whole points-per-game number, yes. Yeah. Um, his touchdown, his pick six shows the level that NFL defenders operate at and how, like why your margin for error in this league is so insanely small. It's ridiculous. Like, there was another one on the other side as well. Um, like, Devon, there wasn't a human being in, in college football that could cover Devontae Smith at all, right? DBs. <laughs> corners, safeties, linebackers, doesn't matter. Nobody in, on the field could get anywhere near this guy. The Saints are just casually having uh, DeMario Davis, like a linebacker, carry him down the middle of the field into the end zone and blanket him to shut down a touchdown. You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. the difference between college football and the NFL is insane. This is why you look at these guys like, well, they were dominant in college. How come it doesn't translate? That That's why. This is another one. You look at the interception – the pick six that Trevor Simeon throws, it's like it's not bad. Like he is looking at a guy playing off man coverage um, against a, a comeback route, right? Essentially, this should be open. There's no reason it wouldn't be. And Slay just reads his man so fast and is waiting for it that the second that guy starts to break down and start his comeback, Slay is moving towards it, breaking on the ball, gets there in front of him, and just picks it off and takes it back. Like, nobody makes that play in college. It's just not, you know what I mean? Like, nobody is no, even, nobody easy, is it's waiting. It's underneath completion. Yeah. Nobody is waiting for it the same way. Nobody's breaking on it the same speed. And nobody is picking that off. If you're Simeon, like, at the point where you make, the, where you sort of cock and make that throw, 
it's open. But in the NFL, it's a completely different animal. And, you know, it's a pick six, and you're like, ah, oh, Simeon, idiot. Like, it's just terrible quarterback play. Even what you just described there was um – I mean, that's a big change in the Eagles' defense. Not saying that they weren't trying to break on the ball early in the year and everything, but we're two weeks removed from kind of making fun of the Eagles for letting everybody complete 80% of their passes, which had been the case. There was a lot of easy underneath stuff. It was like week one against the Falcons. I thought they were breaking like way back then. They were breaking on the ball quickly in their, in their zone coverages, but there was definitely a lull in the season where everything was wide open underneath. They have cracked down a little bit these last couple weeks yeah. in Philadelphia, including uh, Slay, the way he's been playing, so... Uh, really impressive win by the Eagles. We'll get into, I want to get into that Packers-Vikings game. But first, don't forget Manscaped. Don't, they, don't forget them. Don't forget them. They just launched their new products, including the all-new ultra-premium body wash and a two-in-one shampoo and conditioner. It's time to give yourself or someone who needs it the gift of beautiful skin hair and balls. And look at that. That's up on the screen beautiful as balls. well. This holiday season, go to manscaped.com. Use promo code PFF for 20% off plus free shipping as it says right there it's the right tools for the job the performance package 4.0 that's the signature it features the signature lawnmower 4.0 this electric trimmer has proprietary advanced skin safe technology to reduce cuts on your nuts it's also waterproof so you could use it in the shower or or the rain like yesterday yeah, like yesterday if you were uh-huh. at the football game if you were on the sideline in the pouring rain yeah you could have broken out the the 4.0 that picture of mike vrabel just trimmed them right up sad in the rain right you know, it's available. He could have been manscaping. Could have been. They've also launched the uh, the two in one shampoo and conditioner. As I said, they have the that has the key ingredients with benefits that include hydrating, nourishing, conditioning the scalp, Sam, and strengthening your hair at the same time. Tis the season to load up on manscape products. So get yourself, your dad, your brother, and friends the best gift of all. Are you going to give this to a friend? Would you give this to a friend? Why not? Absolutely. Why? It's a great gift for a friend. Friends take care of friends, especially with Manscaped and the Performance Package 4.0. So you get 20% off and free shipping with the code PFF over at Manscapes.com. It's 20% off with free shipping at Manscapes.com. Use code PFF. As always, clean up your nuts and make Santa proud yes. this season. Nothing Santa likes more than, uh, than cleaned up nuts. Jingle balls to the wall. I'm just going to add that in there as well. I think you should. Rest in peace yeah. from two years ago. It's got to be coming down the pike, right? Like we're November 22nd. They might have a new copyright. There's only like a month left. Yeah. Well, I mean, that might just be it. It might just be the Santa line. No, I, there's got to be more. You don't leave just the – I mean, the Santa line is amazing. Don't get me wrong. But it feels like there's more to come. That's why I just – I add it back month. in. That's my, my own ad lib right okay. there. Okay. That's nice, yeah. We wow. were told that was okay, you know? The the stuff in bold is the stuff you got to read. There's some stuff that's, after that's required. That, after that, you can say what you like. You can Natural get, feel. <clears throat> yeah. After that, you can start going crazy with this stuff. Just saying. The, the Manscaped stuff, it's uh, it's good. It's good, so uh, consider those gifts. Appreciate it. All right, uh, Vikings win 34-31, was it? I just lost yes. the click. Yes, 34-31 over the Green Bay Packers. Incredible back-and-forth game. I hope we don't. Now, who, who picked? Oh, I picked Minnesota. At least I got that right. This wasn't one of those games I said it might be a defensive battle, right? I think Green Bay been. was trending in the right direction, yeah. and Minnesota was trending in the right direction, and that didn't necessarily happen. Um, a lot of fascinating stuff in this in this game because uh, Aaron Rodgers had a couple turnover-worthy plays early on that didn't necessarily come back to bite. Kirk Cousins had a few turnover-worthy plays that didn't come back to bite either. This is one of those games where I'm claiming a moral victory. So okay. this game went let's, the way it was supposed it. to go. Let's right? hear your moral victory. Okay, I'll, I'll explain it to you. This game went exactly the way it was supposed to go. Minnesota, as they always do, jump out to a seven-plus point lead 
again, extending their streak of being the only team in the NFL to have led a game by seven-plus points in every single contest. Then, as their want, as is their want, they shut up shop, right? It's like, oh, look, if we air it out to Justin Jefferson, good things happen. So let's immediately stop doing that now that we've built up an impressive lead. Um, they got lucky once when there was a miscommunication between um, – Jefferson and Kirk Cousins, he threw an interception and it got negated for roughing the passer, I think. So one bullet dodged. And then they allowed the Packers to close right back up, take the lead, and then Cousins gets the ball back again, immediately tries to throw the game away. Throws the ball straight to Darnell Savage, was it, who picks it off. And then on replay, we discover that, oh, look, he didn't actually pick it off. Cousins gets new life, gets the ball back, ends up winning the game. By rights, That should have been a Green Bay win with the exact game plan that every Vikings game has, which is take the lead early, choke, throw it away, and then game over. But somehow Darnell Savage screwed me. And now, you know, Minnesota wins the game, allegedly. Now my pick is correct. Now look, in my adjusted adjusted game uh, outcomes, the Packers would have won that game. That's a deep. That's a deep inside <laughs> joke. It's funny to me. I'm, yeah. I'm smiling on the inside. Good. I'm glad somebody got it. The reality of what happened was Green Bay mm-hmm. won. So I exactly. count it as a win. Tomorrow victory is what it I'm is. saying. Um, the stat lines are incredible for both quarterbacks. You know, Rogers, 385 yards, 11.7 yards per attempt, four touchdowns. Cousins, 341, three touchdowns himself. But again, there was some. You know, Rogers tried to throw a pick early. Uh, had a fumble that somehow ended up back in his arms early mm-hmm. on. Um, but the back and forth, you know, Rodgers hit a ton of big-time throws. That was, that was the vintage Rodgers part. And then uh, Valdez-Scantling with four catches for 123, including the 75-yarder. It's like, all right, the Vikings take the lead. Let's see if they can stop the Packers' return here. It's like, nope, one play, 75 yards, Valdez-Scantling one-on-one. Rodgers hits him in stride, and that big playability was, was huge. Was, uh, was that the play? No, it wasn't that play. There was a play earlier where... Rodgers essentially won with a um, with like a fake timeout call. <laughs> it was the ball was cut like the, it was about that to was snapped. the that was the double move. Yeah, to except it wasn't Adams. a double. It wasn't really a double move. Well, Devonte gave like a little shimmy, right? But yeah. what? But it was Mackenzie Alexander, I think, basically just stopped playing because yeah. Rodgers called timeout, but they didn't give it to him. The ball was snapped, right? And Rodgers just hit the dude over his head. But like the defense, the defense essentially stopped playing. Because, yeah. oh, look, the quarterback's called If you watch out. Alexander, he just, like, he looked like he was reading a run play. Yeah. And all Rod- Rodgers turned to call Because what he was actually the ball reading. was already snapped. It was actually incredible. Rodgers turns around, catches the snap, looks up, right. and sees Devontae wide open on the corner. Because what he was actually reading was the fact that the quarterback called timeout. And was, oh, the play, you know, stop. Everybody, the play's done. Might be a good play. That's what I'm saying. Fake, like Fake timeout. It turn. was accidental. Fake but time. But it actually worked. Like, that would that's an interesting way of you know you've seen Dan Marino with the fake spike or whatever like that's honestly a thing that could work yeah um what was I gonna say oh yeah so as much as the grades won't be amongst Kirk Cousins best games this year when you look at how much he was under pressure and how impactful the pressure was in this game like Christian Darasaw has a pass blocking grade in the 40s Mason Cole who in theory might be an upgrade at center over Bradbury, though that says more about Bradbury than Cole, had a pass blocking grade of 15. Uh, Ezra Cleveland in the 30s. Like, the pass blocking was terrible, is what I'm saying. Kirk Cousins was under pressure a ton, and as much as he tried to throw the game away at least once, arguably a couple of times, 
some of the plays he was making in the face of pressure were really impressive. And I do kind of wonder if it's time the Vikings embrace the idea that their quarterback is better than they think he is. Yeah, I like you're, think they can. You're paying this guy a ton of money, but you don't trust him to do what he's consistently doing at this point. He's like, been one of the league's best throwing beyond the sticks, intermediate level, that 10 to 19-yard range. He's been accurate. Um, you'll get a game like this where you know there's a few turnover-worthy plays in there, but again, it didn't necessarily come back to bite. Um, we do have an, a, a good question from a listener about uh, that we can look up a little bit more, but um, EPA on say big time throws versus turnover worthy plays over time. You know what? It, is it worth it? Right? Would you again go back to like? Would you rather have the highly volatile guy that has high both, or the more conservative person that is low in both? Um, I honestly don't think. I I do think turnovers are worse than the analytics community lets on. Uh, that's again a further discussion, but. In isolation, the EPA on a turnover is not the worst, but I think you lose the opportunity cost of like you lost a possession, right. which you, of which you only get 9, 10, 11 possessions in a game. You lost the opportunity to score on that possession. So it's not just the plays, EPA, so to speak. But ultimately, yeah, because I'm going to go back to what, what happens when you have a Justin Jefferson on your team. When Justin Jefferson, as he has the last couple of weeks, can just take over a game, and I made the comments a couple weeks ago. I think Jefferson's up in that Devontae Adams takeover a game type of level. No matter where you put him, what you do with him. They had a nice touchdown just putting him in the backfield, right? Put him in the backfield, run a little angle route. Um, I, I want more of that if, if, if I'm a Vikings fan. More moving Justin Jefferson around and also just, hey, when you see one-on-one, he's your guy. He goes eight for 169. He was only targeted nine times. But, um, yeah. Feed him the ball. 4.97 yards per route run in this particular game. That is uh, efficiency times 10. But this game is like a perfect um, ca- encapsulation of like, where Minnesota strengths are. When you air the ball out and when you just let Cousins let it rip to Justin Jefferson and Adam Thielen, good things happen. When yeah, you tighten sure. up and try and play conservative and try and kind of take the game out of Cousins' hands and – you know, quote unquote, protect the offense by not letting him do all that stuff. That's when things don't go as well. So you're already paying this guy as if he was Patrick Mahomes or Aaron Rodgers or one of these other quarterbacks. And at this point, all the data is saying that he's at that kind of level. Okay, none of us really trust it because I think there is an element uh, that of him not being that guy. But he's probably closer to that than they're giving him credit for. At which point. Like, stop undermining yourselves by trying to take the ball out of his hands all the time. Like, feed Justin Jefferson, feed Adam, Adam Thielen, let Cousins be Cousins. Like, this is, we're like, it's the let Russ cook thing, but with Kirk Cousins instead, which is dramatically less appealing as a concept, but is actually the Vikings' best way of winning games right so, now. So, well, it's, it's kind of like what I described with the, I mean... Kirk Cousins playing a lot better football than Ben Roethlisberger right yes. now. But early in the season, the way I was trying to describe the Steelers, like your only chance to kind of like stumble into a good offense is to actually be aggressive when it feels like you probably shouldn't be based off what Big Ben is. And what happens there is maybe it's ugly at times. Uh, maybe it maybe it doesn't feel comfortable. Um, but, I mean, neither does three and a half yards per carry when you force Dalvin Cook, as great as Dalvin is, um, as a pure runner. So... Yeah, I think putting the ball in Cousins' hands more often does make sense. Um, the other play that was the, the key play 
as the Vikings were making their – this essentially ended the game. The little the short comeback route to Adam Thielen, mm-hmm. it looked like Cousins threw it right at the cornerback. It was a crazy play. Um, was that Rasul Douglas in coverage against Thielen? I don't remember. I think it was Rasul. Um, essentially, the cornerback runs the comeback route for Thielen. Yeah. Cousins makes um, normally what's like a critical mistake. Or you left it inside on a comeback route, but because the corner was so good – running the route it actually was thrown away from the leverage of the defender Thielen you know the corner loses track of it Thielen catches it runs up the sideline puts the Vikings into field goal range and again they were really smart they ran down the clock and just said that's it like Aaron Rodgers does not get the ball back we're just going to kick the game-winning field goal which they did um so that was the uh, that was a critical play on the final drive which um was just a crazy play because it was thrown it was just a, a throw yeah. that usually doesn't get completed and i don't i don't play. think it was deliberate by cousins but if it was but he was under been. quick he was, sorry interrupt again but he was under quick pressure it was another yeah. one he had to force it out like you were right. saying making throws under pressure here. it's a, it's a pass that if it had been deliberate would be one of the passes of the season because as you say like usually the last thing you want to do is leave a pass on any kind of outbreaking route inside because the corner is typically trailing the receiver on the play and is therefore exactly where you're about to throw the ball by mistake um, but the DB, Douglas, if if we were right, read that play so well that he was actually – it was one of those ones he's running the route for the receiver. He's going to break in front of him. If it's on target, quote-unquote, where it's supposed to be, the ball is picked off. But the ball is actually thrown back inside. So by the time like the, the DB reads the play, looks up for where the ball is supposed to be, the ball is back inside behind him – and the receiver is able to react quicker. Thiela makes an amazing catch, given how late he reacts to it, and all is good. It was Douglas. Okay. Confirmed. So I don't think that was deliberate. I think Cousins was just under pressure, and it was a bad location. He got lucky. But if it had been deliberate, it would be like one of the most insane adjustments a quarterback has made on a pass in the entire season. Um, we had uh, somebody tweet at me, hey, the Monday morning narrative last week was the Packers have the defense. This is the best defense of the Rodgers era, and the Packers have the defense to go to the Super Bowl and all that stuff. And the point that you made earlier today is like, yeah, that, you know, keep trusting defense because at some yeah. point you're going to get torched. That was this week uh, for the Packers. Right, and by the way, that's why if you're of the opinion that, hey, Kansas City is back, Maybe tap the brakes because right now they're back because the defense has just throttled two different teams. No, you know that's happening right now. I know you it is. Know, that's what I'm I mean, saying. Our listeners, everybody's here on YouTube watching. But if there are a few people not on YouTube watching us live, they're watching ESPN shows and NFL Network shows. They're watching all these shows that are like, this is, this is it. This is the Chiefs. The yes. Chiefs are a defensive team now. That's what I'm saying. Just if your take on Kansas City being back is built off the fact that their defense is suddenly playing amazingly, I would consider what can happen based off the evidence of every other defense in the NFL. The second you think a defense is amazing, they get gashed by Kirk Cousins. Like, just be careful if that's your argument. If your argument is, hey, the defense is playing better, Patrick Mahomes is back, the offense is fine, despite, you know, lack of points in the last couple of weeks, fair enough. But if your, def- if your argument is like, hey, the defense has brought the Chiefs all the way back, you probably don't want to be making that. Anyway, next week the uh, the Packers have the Rams, so that'll be another uh, another good test. Uh, look, the, I, I think the Packers' defense is is like other defenses; they're capable. Um, I like their I like Adrian Amos and Darnell Savage. Yeah. If, if Savage 
if Savage just holds on to that interception, it's like, oh, the defense made a big play and when look, they needed it. Green Bay is still in great shape. If for no yeah. other reason, then they're getting an insane amount of reinforcements, right? At some point heading into the playoffs, which they're going to make, they will get the best left tackle in the NFL, David Bakhtiari. They will get the best cornerback in the league from last year, uh, Jair Alexander, and their best pass rusher, Zadarius Smith, back. In theory, all three of those guys are coming back at some point down the stretch. There's no other team in the NFL that can look on the horizon and see those kinds of reinforcements riding to the rescue. So, yeah, this was the game they wish they had, probably should have had, but it's they're still in great shape. We'll get into more of the games, but first... Thanksgiving, man. This Thanksgiving, be thankful for family, food, and free bets. That's right. DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. They have a turkey day no-brainer that you can't miss. New customers can bet just $1 on any Thanksgiving NFL game and win $100 in free bets if either team scores a point. That's right. There's three games this Thanksgiving. There are. All you need to do is bet $1 on any of those games. You can win $100 in free bets. If Sportsbook isn't yet available in your state, you can still get in. On the Thanksgiving NFL action, make your first deposit and you could play free for millions of dollars with DraftKings Daily Fantasy Football Contest. And DraftKings is safe, secure, and reliable. Best of all, you can deposit and withdraw your cash whenever you want because, you know, there's some some other sites out there where they make it difficult to withdraw your money, but not DraftKings. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use promo code PFF. Bet just $1 on any Thanksgiving NFL game and you win $100 in free bets if either team scores a point that's promo code pff this thanksgiving at DraftKings sportsbook an official sports betting partner of the nfl must be 21 or older new jersey indiana or pennsylvania only new customers only restrictions apply see draftkings.com sportsbook for details gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER i don't think i've said indiana right in like 10 straight reads here you the Stumble terms right and conditions it. you sort of you've blended a bunch of words together there in an interesting way yeah mm. yeah look at I've been spending a lot of time on my intros, and again, the uh, terms and conditions. You your terms have, and conditions slide. You, have you hate to see that. You know the yeah. sliders of like where's Steve's effort going to be? It's like really high on intros, a little bit low on uh, T and C here. I mean, you just hate to see a guy let the terms and conditions go. That's can a, we get can we get George back in here to do my terms and conditions? That guy do something useful around here, you know. Hmm. Um, uh, by the way, programming note <clears throat> for all those. Uh, here on YouTube or uh, listening in podcast land. Just one more podcast this week, so we're not going to have the Wednesday. It's not a midweek show. It's a Wednesday preview show. We do this every year for Thanksgiving. The preview is going to come a week, uh, a day early, um, which, is, which is risky. It's going to be before we have uh, any injury reports, but uh, we're going we're gonna to preview the stuff. We're going to preview the games because that's how we do it. We want it before uh, Thanksgiving and while you're traveling maybe on a, on a Wednesday. So uh, we're gonna Wednesday is gonna be our Week Twelve preview. I mean, really, unfortunately, now we uh, we're tracking the picks, and we're gonna be making the picks a day earlier with no information of injuries. With no information, has yeah. the what would be a real shame actually is if this turned out to be like our best week of the year in terms of picks. Yeah. you know, we nailed this week, but every other week when we actually have information is where we're we're a disaster. Now you made the point to me yesterday. We'll talk about Arizona in a minute, but. Officially, when it was officially no Kyler Murray, we knew no, no DeAndre Hopkins, but there was no Kyler Murray, and the line hadn't moved a ton. It was like, were there people sprinting to go, like, what, Seattle at home, and Russ a week back with more healing and all this stuff, and it didn't seem to matter Yeah, with Arizona. There were a few Arizona fans in my mentions that were like, oh, Sam picks against the Cardinals again, and then they go and win the game. It's like, look, my pick literally 
was if they have Kyler Murray, they win. If they don't, they probably lose. I'm okay picking against Kirk Cousins, or not Kirk Cousins, uh, Colt McCoy, when Russell Wilson, albeit mallet-fingered Russell Wilson, is on the other side. I'm okay getting proven wrong there. I'm, I'm comfortable with that decision. Yeah, I mean, good job, Cardinals. We'll talk about you in a bit. Baltimore Ravens 16, the Chicago Bears 13. Lamar Jackson out with illness. And uh, a late, how late was that scratch? Pretty late. Like, Sunday, like late Sunday. Before the, I mean, late. Yes. Before the game Sunday. Right. Prior to the 1 o'clock game. He said he, uh, Huntley said that he found out on the bus on the way to the game. On the bus? Yeah. Wow. Getting on the bus, I think he said Lamar texted him and was like, you know, go nuts. It's your, it, your, your start. I mean, <clears throat> uh, Justin Fields gets hurt for the Bears. Uh, rib injury. As, you know, he had a rib injury last year against Clemson as well. Yes. You have to um, – I'll talk about Fields in a minute here. The Ravens didn't really do anything of note offensively. Huntley hung in there, you know, made some throws, got away with a couple others. But uh, they didn't run the ball all that well, but they found a way to win. And that's going to be huge for the Ravens because, the again, not only is the AFC wide open, battle for the number one seed, wide open. Ravens move to 7-3. and three. They're half game behind the Titans now for that uh, number one overall seed in the AFC where nobody's great, of course. But uh, big win for the Ravens with their backup QB. Let me uh, pitch you a hypothetical here. Mm-hmm. You are the head coach of the Chicago Bears. You have fought for a decent amount of the season to not put Justin Fields in the lineup. Eventually, your hand is forced. Fields goes in. The story so far has been up and down, uh, but more up than down recently. Sure. Justin Fields has been making some plays. Looks looks good. Now you're facing the Baltimore Ravens. Uh, Fields didn't play particularly well to start with, then gets injured, knocked out of the game with a rib injury. Andy Dalton comes in as your backup. You know, looks reasonably well, makes a couple of big plays to Darnell Mooney and puts you in the lead, which you eventually lose to Tyler Huntley and the Ravens drop the game. After the game, the inevitable question comes up in your press conference. So Andy Dalton comes in, almost leads a victory. Uh, who's the starting quarterback going forward? Your answer. Uh, it's Justin Fields' team. As long as Justin is healthy, Justin Fields is our starter. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Yeah. What do you think McNaggy, Matt Nagy said? Oh, man, I didn't see it. I didn't know this was, that this was a thing. Yeah. What did he say? Refused to confirm either way who the starting quarterback would be going forward. I don't understand how he's so bad at this. Hmm. How How try- can you not see that coming? I tried to defend him so much during the season. I tried to defend him all offseason. I honestly right think that the single biggest problem he has is that. It's answering questions from people that are really easy. Just need somebody to prep them. Hey, Matt, two quarterbacks played today. They might ask you who the, who's going to start next game. When they do, for the love of God, say Justin Fields. Let's go over this. Who's your starting quarterback? Uh, it's up in the no. It's, it's Justin Fields. Who's your starting quarterback? Do, do they, they, they need the uh, know. you know like the press officer, the the PR guy. You know the way in college football you get the giant cue cards. Yeah, like the A three sheets where they hold them up and it's like bear triangle. You know, it just gives them the play call. Right. You need the, the press officer needs to be at the back of the conference. Just Fields. Says, it says Justin with just, like a big football field. <laughs> Justin. Just a Fields. picture of a field in the you know in somewhere just the dude sitting there with a giant card i i don't understand how you can screw that up like it's so simple it's so obviously coming the second this happens and you're like i oh, will play it by ear 
the the hit that Fields took to get hurt wasn't egregious. It looked like a, it looked like he got concussed or something, and then they were like, "No, it's a rib injury." Yeah, it wasn't like that big of a hit. It wasn't one that made you say "Wow" or anything. I don't I don't think. But um, I've been worried about the hits that Fields takes, and I keep saying that quarterbacks staying healthy, other than the freak mallet finger injuries, <laughs> there's freak injuries where your hand hits helmets. But there's hits that you take that you can avoid. Yes. And, I, and I don't think Fields has been good at avoiding hits, just like I don't think Carson Wentz and Josh Allen have been good at avoiding hits. There are some guys who just don't do it all that well. If you watch Justin Herbert on Sunday Night Football, that dude is sliding at the first sign of trouble um, and doing a pretty good job of – but Fields has to do a better job of that. Like just take Again, this wasn't an egregious one, but they, they add up. And I think if he's going to be the long-term guy in Chicago – I mean, and have Matt Nagy say his name as the starting quarterback. Man, just take care of yourself a little bit better. Yeah. Justin Fields took three sacks in this game. Andy Dalton had one. And Andy Dalton played a lot more. You know what I mean? Like, there's, yeah. there's a big difference between the way those two guys play the game. And as much as Justin Fields clearly brings some things to the table that Andy Dalton doesn't have in the tool bag, it's not without negatives. And, like, you could make an argument that Justin Fields was the third best quarterback in this game and one team didn't start their starter. Like, Lamar Jackson didn't play, and Justin Fields still may have been the third-best quarterback on the field in this game. Um, so, look, it, it, like, the Justin Fields thing has been moving in the right direction. And, like, he's got one of the highest big-time throw rates in the NFL. Like, the high end of Justin Fields is incredible um, and is obviously why he should still be your starter going forward. God damn it. Why? Anyway, uh, but the negatives have still got to be ironed out. Like, he does take too many sacks. He doesn't protect himself particularly well. The stuff that he's bad at is still the throw, problematic. The throw on the run to Darnell Mooney was beautiful. By the way, Mooney showing his potential in this one. Right, I mean, le- legitimate. When you watched Mooney at Tulane, you saw 4-3 speed and the ability to attack the football in the air. Just really good ball skills. You kind of saw all that uh, on display here. The... Um, but again, just because I feel like when we talk about Justin Fields, we don't talk between you and I. We talk like to the the Twitter folks that we that we see. We talk to the to the football community. And most of our football community is and anti Andy Dalton as well. Right? They they're like Andy Dalton is terrible. Yeah. Right. And he's not. Like he's not terrible. And it's not crazy to think that Andy Dalton is a better quarterback right now than Justin Fields. Throw for throw, play for play, Andy Dalton is going to give you more efficient football. Um, but if you're the Chicago Bears, that's not the goal here, right? You're three and seven now. The goal is to do what you can to get Justin Fields to be better than Andy Dalton, which is still a thing that's on the table. So and you have to develop Justin Fields. Yes, and, and by the way, the fact that they lost this game should have absolutely like put the nail in the coffin of anything other than saying Fields is your quarterback. Right, they're not in the hunt. There's if no had, more in the right, hunt here. If they had won this game maybe maybe you could at least see why in his brain he would be like you know we're still not out of the playoffs and Andy Dalton might give us a better chance to win the game and uh, you know but you didn't you lost you're out of the playoff picture effectively even if technically you're still in the hunt like you're done at which point Justin Fields is the only thing to gain from the remainder of the season so you say he is the starter uh anyway the uh on the other side with the the Ravens um Huntley leads the the game winning drive late, kind of gets away with a you know chucking it up to a safety, gets bailed out by a penalty, and uh, look, I think 
I still think the Bears defense has uh, Khalil Max out for the season, by the way, too. They, they were without a lot of good football players. A lot of good football players hurt for the Bears in this one. So that's the other. It's a tough, it was a tough situation for Fields or Dalton at quarterback or, or the Bears defense in general. Um, but gritty, gutty win for the Ravens. They lead the game-winning drive with a little bit of luck there with Huntley. He got sacked six times as well. His pocket presence wasn't the best. Um, but he was a guy who had a pretty good career at Utah. Was very, I know you were really impressed with him in the yeah. preseason. And I think, you know, if you're the Cowboys won a game with a backup quarterback, Ravens win a game with a backup quarterback. He really is like games here in the grand scheme of things. He really is like a budget Lamar Jackson. It's it's like stylistically they are very similar. Um, And and you didn't always see that at Utah. But I think like he's he's athletic and can move around and everything. Um, but he also he threw the ball really well. I mean, that is Lamar too. I mean, yeah. you have those skills, but you want to pass first. He is that ab- is that is Huntley. He as is well. absolutely a a poor man's Lamar Jackson um, to the point where you can see like you can see plays that they're running for him that are Lamar Jackson plays, and it just doesn't quite work the same way. You know what I mean? Even yeah. for a guy who's really it shows how special Lamar is. Oh yeah. That even for a guy who's really athletic, like Tyler Huntley. He doesn't have the same ability to just make people miss and look ridiculous. So you've got these plays. You're like, oh, there's a crease there. Lamar would be gone, and Huntley isn't, even though he's like a freaky athlete and amazing in his own right. I also, like, I watched the interview with him after the game. I forget who was giving it, but, you know, they they're basically – and he – it just – I don't know. There was – in this world of, like, cynicism and, you know, misery and everything being terrible, <laughs> you you listen to him be interviewed, and it was just nice. You know what I mean? They interviewed him, and I was like, when did you find out? And he was like, first thing he did was credit, I think, the defense or maybe the offensive line, something other than himself. You know what I mean? Had the good answers, right? Yeah, not even the good answers, but they were just, like, wholesome. You know, yeah. he was thanking people that weren't him, said the first thing he was going to do was call his mom and dad after the game. It's like, it was just... It was just a feel-good thing. It's like there's a guy who got a chance to start a game randomly out of nowhere. You know, didn't play amazingly, didn't play terribly, got the win. And he's just happy about it. It was just nice to see. Is he your new uh, Jacoby Brissett? Big Tyler Huntley fan here? I mean, I like Tyler. I now like him as a person more than I like him as a football player. Jacoby Brissett is just fun to watch because it's like <laughs> it's like a car crash. I but, think. But Huntley is... He's exciting to watch because he's a dynamic playmaker, even if it doesn't always go the way it should do. And I'm now like rooting for the guy because of that interview because we, he seems like an awesome dude. We definitely get caught up in like just focusing on the game and how did this guy play, and we've got a grade that kind of like you know paints the picture of how he played and all that stuff. But finding out that you're starting that late, as much as you're the backup quarterback and you're always prepared, right? And you knew that Lamar was sick, at, you know, throughout the week and all that stuff. That's a challenging thing, though, man. I mean, it's not yeah. only I mean, your your first real opportunity here, but um, it's just you find out right. that I mean, late in the process. You were prepared to write off one of the greatest quarterbacks of all time because he couldn't practice with his teammates for a while. Like this is a dude who's backup who barely practices with them ever is just thrown into a game and be like, go beat the Bears. Yeah, and they did. So, obviously, a huge win for the Ravens. They moved to 7-3. and three, And uh, we'll, we might look back on this one the same way we might look back on the Cooper Rush game as uh, just huge when it comes to uh, playoff seeding this season. All right, we've we got to talk about this Browns-Lions game at some point, I guess. I'm okay. trying to avoid that. Sure. 13-10. to 10, Browns win against the Lions. Yeah. What did we pick? We both picked Cleveland. They didn't cover. 
they won though. So they did is, win. This is one of those occasions where the money, uh, the the money line. We looked good. Pick, we nailed looked it. Good. We nailed it. Got it right. Absolutely. Nailed Browns one, uh, Lions zero. This was um, miserable. Yeah. So ESPN's QBR. I like to look at it just as a reference. Obviously, PFF grades the best. Uh, performance evaluation tool when it comes to isolating the quarterback but I think when you when you look at QBR because it involves EPA and it, it's a pretty good feel for like what did you see results wise it's a little bit more result driven I would say Baker Mayfield and Tim Boyle the two quarterbacks in this game the two worst uh, QBRs of the week and they were just like Tim Boyle was a 5.7 which is about as bad as you get and Baker was a 13.4 which is um I'm sorry, when you adjusted for who you're playing, it was a 6.7 versus an 8.6. Um, I'll have to ask the, uh, our friends over at ESPN if they've ever had a QB matchup where both quarterbacks were under 10 in QBR in a, like after you adjust for who they were playing. But that's uh, pretty poor. Again, it's a little bit more results-driven and air yards and sacks matter, a little bit, whatever. It just means you watched a pretty bad offensive football game. And that, that was about what happened here. Yeah. Uh, Baker Mayfield was bad again. Like, you know, the when you look at all these passes from Baker to OBJ, and like, why Why is it just off? Even even when OBJ's open, Baker Mayfield's airmailing it, or like, it's just the connection is bad. Well, apparently Baker's translating that to every other receiver now. Like, wide open um, – Jarvis Landry on a post route, Baker just sails it like three yards over his head Bad straight to a DB. What, what is wrong with you? Now, okay, there are things wrong with you. Like you've got a torn labrum in your shoulder. That's not going away. At one point, they drew up one of those like, uh, you know, like the show me where he touched you type of things, right? Just the, the body image of Baker Mayfield and drew up all of the injuries that he had this year. And it's like everywhere. Everything is hurts. Everything on Baker Mayfield is broken. That has to be factoring into how bad he's playing the game right now. It just there's no way for it that it isn't. But it, when you when a guy goes out onto the field, you sort of have to, you almost have to suspend knowledge of that stuff. You're like, well, he's out there, so you have to evaluate his play. Yeah. And when Baker Mayfield is out there right now, his play is bad. Um, throwing the ball to DBs way too often. Um, I'm like, that's. You also somewhat have to adjust for your injury, right? And so I think there's a difference between an injury that's like legitimately affecting your throw and your accuracy, and maybe there, there's a factor there. But I think part of part of quarterbacking is, or just football in general, is not only playing injured but knowing how to adjust for that. So and also if you can't make certain throws or hit certain parts of the field or throw a certain distance right. or with certain velocity you adjust off that but also the team needs to understand that as well like they need to start crafting an offensive game plan that somehow protects baker better than he's protecting himself right now by the way like the difference in this game what was it 13 10 yeah like the margin for victory was jarvis landry on a like a trick play turn what was supposed to be running a, it in right what was supposed yeah. to be essentially a pass from landry uh realizing that it's gone to hell and scrambling for a touchdown instead um, and Landry, by the way, is one of those players that has a stupidly good record of trick play quarterback stuff. You yeah. know what I mean? Um, and apparently you can add, like, even when it breaks down, he can scramble and make something happen to that. But that's the difference between the Browns beating the Lions or not. Landry's an interesting player because, um, again, I'm speaking to the fantasy football community mostly here who just have – they've looked at his – 
combine measurables and all that stuff and say, well, he's slow and he doesn't like, no, he doesn't do anything well from like a measurable standpoint. So we never projected well. But some of the work we've done behind the scenes using some of the next gen stats uh, technology has shown he's actually way faster on the field. Like his on field play is just better. And our grades have always said, yeah, he's better than whatever you would have would have expected from the way he moves and all that stuff you know from a measurable standpoint um anyway <clears throat> the browns had a pretty good run game again offensive line ran you know, everything was good up front but they didn't put points on the board again because the pass game was so efficient so baker having another below average game 51 passing grade for baker mayfield i mean injury or not uh back-to-back poor weeks for him after his best game yeah. against the bengals and uh, now it looks like he just needs a number one wide receiver. Wow. You know? He just If the Browns could just get Baker Mayfield a number one. Stop. Stop it. So all I'm saying is there are it, – it's, it's putting the Browns further into a bind here. As we, we're in week 11, Baker's running out of time to prove that he's the guy or to give any confidence that he's the guy to, uh, to build around here. I don't know how – if he continues to play like this down this, this is the problem we said. Like, he's going to play the rest of this year hurt, and he's almost certainly going to play badly because of it, or at least worse than he's played over the last few years. At which point, how do you fold that in to any kind of contract negotiations and get a deal done? Because even if you, you're, you're going to put some kind of asterisk next to it, knowing that he was playing through a torn labrum and a shoulder all year. But it can't possibly do anything other than have a negative effect on your opinion of him. You ca- it can't enhance what you think of Baker Mayfield, right? Him playing badly through no. a shoulder injury. I, I think the bigger issue for the Browns is I, I don't think we were wrong in saying they had a really nice offseason. They've had a really nice couple offseasons building mm-hmm. their team. They do have this uh, really good offensive line. They do have good running backs. They have had many games where they've been able to win with the run game i think they made the right moves in the secondary even though they've been a roller coaster ride there i think i think we were right in saying the browns had a good offseason they built a good roster i think internally they're going to look around at their roster and say we're making the right moves we have confidence in our ability to make the right moves going forward i think they're going to look at that and also say stefanski's done a pretty nice job and we've created an offense where the qb can be a passenger and that has won in the NFL before. You could make the argument that Sean McVay's offense and Kyle Shanahan's offense is, is a passenger-driven. It's not a QB-driven offense. It's QB's a passenger. You've created this ecosystem where quarterbacks can have success. And the Browns might look around at that and say, we could find another passenger besides Baker Mayfield. And we could also find one maybe on the cheap compared to him. You know, if you, put, if you dropped Jimmy Garoppolo there or you dropped not maybe, maybe not Goff at this point, you know, but Marcus, I keep pointing back to Marcus Mariota. Like, if Marcus Mariota was the quarterback of the Cleveland Browns, are they the same team? Yeah. For much cheaper? Yes. Yeah, I think they might be. Um, so, look, I, there's I, still more time for Baker to, like, play through it and have a game or two where he carries this offense, but we're, I feel like we're really running out of time to, uh, to see that. I mean, there's no way the Browns are not at least exploring every possible option at quarterback at this point. Sure. But I still think that there's – there's, I wouldn't rule out the idea that Baker Mayfield is their quarterback of the future, but I would imagine they are looking at every possible alternative before they commit any kind of money to well, making that Because, happen. again, an analytics-driven – that's so overrated. Every team's making these decisions, and they're using data, and, they're, and they're, they're trying to figure this out. 
But I think the Browns certainly will see the value of, okay, we, we put him on a completely different pay scale versus we can have another rookie contract quarterback, which brings, brings risk. There is risk in there, especially if you're the Browns and you have that stigma of we've never had a guy as good as Baker Mayfield in 20 years. That's, right. the, other, that's the other thing. Yeah. But you have to separate yourself from that and say, in today's ecosystem, can we find – someone else comparable yeah. and i think at, at based this, off how baker's playing right now it is available at this point pretty much every shred of evidence would say you should not hand baker mayfield a monster contract there is a better pathway you just have to find whatever that pathway is to to make that happen i um, you know get a a couple years ago derek uh, well there's so much time to talk about baker mayfield contracts but. on the other side of the ball tim boyle not so good. He had three turnover-worthy plays, a lot of them accuracy-driven. He was just off. I mean, you. <laughs> he had a pretty bad college career and had a lot of hype and training camp and Terrible a pretty good preseason. college career. Yeah. Terrible. Yeah. Like, he had, like, four touchdowns and 13 picks or something. It was a ridiculous, terrible, ridiculous career. Uh, Tim Boyle aside, um, I think Jared Goff is better than Tim Boyle. Neither guy can do anything <laughs> in this offense. <laughs> You know, I, I I don't know that we're getting a good. Uh, I don't think we're getting a good gauge of anybody here, because uh, the one player we're getting a good gauge of is Panay Sewell, who has been successful kicking back to right tackle, which could have gone terribly. Like the guy had been playing pretty well at left tackle. Remember, preseason was an absolute train wreck on the right side, and we were like, "Oh, this you can't ask him to play right tackle. Put him back on the left side." Taylor Decker injury opened that up. He'd been playing well. Decker comes back. So the plan is you flip Panay Sewell back to the right side and uh, presumably at that point are prepared to struggle or suffer through, you know, half a season of him being a disaster so that in the future he will be a good right tackle. It actually hasn't been a problem at all. He's flipped back. He's had two of his better games of the season at right tackle. Literally hasn't given up a pressure in the last two weeks at right tackle. And they can at least feel good about that move. Because now you got Taylor Decker at left tackle, Panay Sewell at right tackle, and you're good. So there you go. There's a shred of uh, positivity for the Lions. We're just going to do Panay Sewell watch every single week. I mean, if you come Lions. up with something else to talk about for them, then uh, be my guest. Yeah. Oh, there's not much else. I mean, look, there's um, they are further in line for that number one overall pick. True. I think the the quarterback decision that they're going to make will be fascinating because I don't know that there's a clear cut. I, by early January, there might just be this consensus like, hey, it's Matt Corral. Hey, it's Malik Willis. We don't know. Sam Howell's the guy. Like, I don't know where they're going to go. That is the first time in recent years, right, that we have not known exactly, right? Trevor Lawrence, Joe Burrow. There was a point where Kyler Murray just took over as the number. That's three straight years we kind of like knew who the prize was right. uh, somewhat early. We don't know who the prize is for the Lions, but um, – We'll have plenty of off-season time to discuss it. Where are we going next? I lost my place. Give me a game we've missed. Where's that page? Where are all my games? How hard is this? I don't know. I had a page with all the... No, I just clicked the wrong button. Just pause. Just pause the live video. Yeah, yeah. Miami 24, Jets 17. Another game we have to discuss. Excellent. Even if briefly. Joe Flacco got fumbled on an unblocked pressure. Yeah, a blitz. That's nonetheless. all you wanted. Unblocked, yeah. The, That's yeah. all you wanted to see. Well, Joe Flacco gets the start because the Miami Dolphins are a very blitz-heavy team. And you need a quarterback like Joe Flacco to be able to deal with the blitz because God knows Mike White wouldn't be able to do that. So 
it is rather poetic that Joe Flacco <laughs> gets fumbles the ball deep in the red zone, I think, uh, on an unblocked blitz that he didn't see yeah. and got hit from behind. It's like Mike White probably could have done that, you know? Now, to be fair, Joe Flacco didn't have the worst stats in the world against the blitz, and Miami did blitz quite a lot. Now, the grade is torpedoed because of that stupid fumble that actually, nah. I don't know whether we charged him for that. But anyway, the grade wasn't great. The stats were okay. So you can kind of make an argument that, hey, it did sort of work. Um, but you lost the game. And what did you gain out of it anyway? It just, you know, <laughs> what was the purpose? What was the point of Joe Flacco in this game? What did you, what did you gain out of it? Culture. You gained culture. You're trying to win. A, you're trying to win. You could have been trying to win with Mike White. Man's a Hall of Famer. Jersey's hanging in the Hall of Fame. That's true. Uh, on the other side, Tua, another one of those games where he's pretty, pretty efficient on the underneath stuff. Uh, only only uh, attempted three, uh, four passes beyond tw- uh, beyond ten yards in this one for Tua. One of them, you know, the touchdown to Mac Hollins, the great Mac Hollins, love that guy. Uh, pretty nice play by Tua to create space. You know, one of those underrated plays. He's under pressure. He created enough space to. I mean, he was wide open. Mac was wide open, but to get the ball to him took some. Uh, some maneuvering from from Tua in the pocket, which was good. Um, it just, other than that, there's really no, you know, no big time throws, no no special from Tua. Just uh, the efficient underneath stuff. And my, uh, we'll continue the Jimmy Garoppolo comp here. Yeah, with Tua, Miami, Jimmy G, Miami are becoming a really interesting team because they're they were so bad. What do they have? Like six straight losses or something? Yeah, they were so bad that we wrote them off. Like, you're like, Miami's done. It's next year. We're moving on. Because the AFC and the NFL generally is such chaos, what are they? They're 4-7 and seven right now. They could easily be 500. In the hunt. Based off their next three games, right? They go, so they just beat the Jets. Then they get Carolina, the Giants, and the Jets again. So if they win those three games, they're back to 500, with their final three games being at New Orleans, at Tennessee, and then home against the Patriots in Week 18. We the seventeenth game in week eighteen. It's not inconceivable that the Dolphins are still in this, like in a real way, which yeah. is ridiculous given where they were. So they say, and, and I, I don't know how they do this to how you make this like on purpose, right? But they say that the NFL, for parity's sake, right, set up the schedule to to kind of like create that. Um, so again, Dolphins playoff team last year should be, should have been on the should have been ascending and all that stuff and they lose a bunch of games against you know they lose to some pretty good teams along the way but they're still what a lot of teams are what we thought they were they just play their schedule at you know uneven times you go through tough stretches you go through easier stretches um, and it's not to say that the Dolphins are going to win every game and you know they just have had rough luck but to your point they've got all these winnable games and they're going to get back closer to what we thought they were they were an 11 win team Last year, which always – or 10-win team, they won double-digit wins. Mm-hmm. Double-digits last year. 10 wins, I believe it was, right? Yeah. They never felt like a 10-win team. They felt more like a 500 team at best. You're right. They could creep right back up to, to 500 and be a similar team as last year, which what they, that's what they felt like coming into the season. But you have to, you, have to, you know, win these games, the, and they did. It would be huge for them, I think, for the kind of – the staff that they have there. Because the big – the – this was – a season that started and looked like it might be heading in a way that could get everybody fired. 
And you're like, honestly, I think the Miami Dolphins are moving in the right direction. They've made some mistakes that are coming back to haunt them right now. But the worst thing that could happen to them is that this season unspools so badly that you're like, right, clear house, fire everybody. You made a mess. You screwed it up. You had a 10-win team, and now you've made a balls of it. Everybody out. If, <laughs> everybody if, out. If nothing else, they are, like, dragging themselves back to the point where you can at least seriously just evaluate, okay, why did we take a step back? Even if they didn't really, like, the kind of quiet part under your breath is that, hey, look, you actually dramatically overachieved last year, and maybe you underachieved bit, a bit this year, but maybe your team was basically the same. You know what I mean? So, yeah. But at least, like, if you're, re- if at least, if you get to the point where you can evaluate, you can come to that conclusion and figure out how you take the next step. They might have the, the fact that they won these games. I think is a good thing to save people's jobs and at least be able to like figure out how to move forward. The Jets. Uh, just to wrap up the Dolphins really quick. I, you know, what? Do you, where are we on Tua again? Nobody knows. Nobody. Nobody. Uh, just for perspective. Using uh, using QBR again, which again would would give the the, the place where two the two his biggest strength. The best thing we could say about him is he's not getting sacked a lot behind this behind this offensive line. He you, makes you, a, you went into it. He makes a horrific offensive line look better than it is. Um, you went into it in great detail on the preview podcast. I thought you laid it out pretty well that the historic level that this Dolphins pass blocking unit is is on pace for. It's wretched. The 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 QBR does, again. ESPN's QBR does a, does a good job of crediting those quarterbacks who don't get sacked, whether it's their fault or not. Again, there's it, it lacks some context. Two is up to tenth in ESPN's QBR. Okay, so and, and it's in large part because he's adding a little bit of value on the ground and then just not losing value from getting sacked, and he's generally completing passes. Where he's lower in our grades, um, in part because he's just not making he's. He's just not making a ton of throws down the field. And he's, get, he's had some turnover luck early on. He got away with some stuff. Um, but he's just not making throws down the field. And even when you look at those four passes, and there you go, if you want, the, if you want our data, our stats, you can get 25% off using the promo code NFLPOD. But he's the four throws that he threw beyond the sticks, we're talking a flea flicker that was wide open. We're talking a, a rollout, wheel route. Like, it's schemed up. Like, at some point, two has just got to hit a deep out. And he's got to hit a deep comeback, and he's got to hit a dig route, and and those passes, it just makes the margin of error for this Dolphins offense is just so small, and and I don't know if that's Tua, I don't know if it's the offensive line, and they're just like, hey, just go out there and complete you know five yard passes and don't get sacked, and we're going to protect you. I'm not sure exactly what it is, but that's the one thing I just I need to see more from him. He is a classic quarterback where so. Tim Boyle can have the kind of college career that would like I would expect you to put up if you went out there playing quarterback, right? Like hmm. the numbers are miserable. There's like no redeeming features whatsoever. It's ridiculous. It's not at a good program. It's not like he did this at Alabama and you can go, well, he was a blue blood. Like this was a guy that nobody wanted to play at crappy colleges badly. And the NFL looks at him and goes, yeah, but he's big and 230 pounds and has a strong arm. So let's take him anyway. Let's let's kick the tires on this thing. Tua is the exact like opposite, where you look at him and you're like, he's small, has not a great arm, and it just looks difficult. But he's actually playing quite well. Um, so like you get this, his first touchdown, I think, is a perfect example of this, where there's pressure coming from his right. He 
sort of scoots up in the pocket away from the pressure, shrugs it off, has a wide-the-hell-open guy deep down the field, but then has to put like a Fitzpatrick level of life force into the ball <laughs> just to get it five yards underthrown, yeah. right? That's like, ah. I love that play. I mean, I love that play from it's him. A good, it's a great yeah. play, but it, it just perfectly shows the limitations that he has, where it's like you did everything right, and it still needed a lot of help to make to get there, right? It was an underthrown pass that needed nobody to be anywhere near the dude and the guy to, like, you know, scoot down the sideline and avoid getting pushed out of bounds for it to be a touchdown. It's like Tua just has a smaller margin of error than quarterbacks like Nick Boyle, uh, Tim Boyle, um, who just have Might all the similar tools. quarterbacks. Maybe, maybe they are similar quarterbacks. But just a, a smaller margin of error than quarterbacks who have all the physical tools to work with. And if you're not incredible like if you're not like joe burrow maybe a, a good comp joe burrow doesn't have the best physical tools in the world but he's clearly really good like he's able to do all the things he's accurate enough he's able to process quick enough and the fact that joe burrow doesn't have a josh allen type cannon matters less tua is not as good as joe burrow right now and he's dealing with a much worse situation in terms of offensive line in front of him and it's just it's really hard to construct the case that Tua should be your quarterback going forward. Now, it's easier to construct a case that he could be, but if you're the Dolphins now and you're mm-hmm. like, you, you, let's say you get to the end of the season, you've kind of pulled this thing out of the fire, you've ended up somewhere around 500, and you're now doing the self-scouting, off-season evaluation thing, what is your conclusion? Yeah, one other data point to add to that. Three PFF passing grades, the, the three best ones for Tua against the Jaguars, the Falcons and the Jets. Yeah. Like really three of the five worst defenses when it comes to, you know, pass defense in the league. Right. Um, and again, like a lot of our grades will adjust, like automatically adjust, but I mean, there's, it's easier against those defenses. And he's graded in the 50s from a pass block, a pass, passing grade against uh, week two against the Bills was a small sample, but against the Patriots in week one, against the Ravens with, the, you know, came in with the injury, but and then also against the Bills. So when he played good defenses, half-decent defenses, he wasn't good. When he played bad defenses, he's been okay. He's been good. Um, so, yeah, there's still still more to see when it comes to Tua right now. But uh, Dolphins win, and like you said, might be, uh, might be in the hunt. Uh, let's touch on 49ers uh, thrashing the Jaguars 30-10 to 10 here. Thrashing. Uh, Niners rolling, man. And, it, you know, against took, – took care of business. Took care of business against the Jaguars on the road. Jimmy Garoppolo remains the best road quarterback of all time. Yeah. Um, I mean, the best part about this game from a San Francisco point of view is this was the dreaded, like, East Coast 10 a.m. game. You know? Like, this was... This <clears throat> was they the, came out firing. Didn't matter. Yeah, yeah. This was the, the most awkward sort of cross-country, weird time zone game for a team. And they came out and were pretty comfortable, was never in doubt, and just easily dispatched the the jacks um, Le- leading rusher debo samuel i mean i i just love last year you were talking all about tin cup and kyle shanahan making do with with what he was given a lot of running back injuries and usually he just plugs in any running back and the scheme takes care of it it hasn't necessarily been the case in recent weeks but instead it's been debo samuel that they just you know throw in the backfield and give him eight carries for 79 yards and a touchdown so i like that adjustment that yeah. the niners are making there. i mean debo is really good this uh, this is the game that kind of showed you what this offense... Well, the last few weeks have done this, but it showed you what the offense can be. Jimmy Garoppolo plays well enough that he doesn't screw it up. 
Debo Samuel is your kind of jack of all trades weapon that can move all over the formation. Um, he can be a number one receiver or he can be the guy you plug into the backfield and give all the gimmick carries to. When he does that, Brandon Ayuk can be your number one receiver. And Ayuk had a, a game with like uh, a ton of targets, caught everything, had a, a decent yardage, had the touchdown. Um, and then, you know, George Kittle and Trent Williams just erasing people in the run game. They have an unconventional group of receivers and playmakers generally, but they can be really good. Like, there's enough incredible talent on this offense to dominate teams like the Jags. Yeah, when they're all healthy and Ayuk is is there, right, playing to – they got him in space a couple times. You see the athleticism, right? I mean, they do have a lot of potential there offensively. They're They've, in the hunt. They threw uh, Trent Williams <laughs> a pass in the end zone. I'm so sad it didn't come off. Poor guy was blanket covered by uh, Miles Jack. But, <laughs> God, I wanted, that, I wanted that play to happen. The dude tried to high point it as well. He's like, I don't care if it's three yards ahead of me. I'm going to try and one-hand this thing up in the air. How many, how many offensive linemen saw Robert Hunt last Thursday night? That's like, they're like, all right, we practiced this one time in training. Like, dust it off. Let's go. Like, we can't let Robert Hunt steal all the O-line, you know, athletic plays. The best part about that was, so A, it was never open. (laughs) Miles Jack covered Trent Williams, shockingly enough, and it was never really an option. Safe throwaway, I guess, is the the term. Um, But you know the way, like, when a receiver runs, like, 80 yards downfield on a post route and then has to, like, sub himself off for the next play because, you know, (laughs) he's just run, he's just sprinted 100 yards? Trent Williams was like, I'm out. It's it's in the shadow of the goal line. We're still like we still need to punch this thing in. And Trent Williams is like sub. I need the oxygen. <laughs> I just ran eight yards on a corner route. I need to be. I need a break. One of these days, I'm just going to go back, you know, and finally watch all of his uh, run block uh, key plays because 98.5 run blocking grade this his, year. His run 97.6 block. overall. Trent Williams. I think that I think that's going to break. That's going to break our tackle record, right? That Almost high. certainly. Is. I don't think we've had anybody at it 97 is, plus. Through 10 weeks, it is the highest we've ever seen. Yeah. So, uh, again, if you guys have premium stats, 2.0, all party PFF Elite package for 25% off. You can get it for NFL pod, with using NFL Pod. Go check out those grades that Trent Williams has. It is as dark as a dark blue can get and as elite as it gets. And his run blocking has been next level this season yeah and in all areas like he, it's incredible on the move he he's receiving able to grades going to take a hit yes but um he yeah know. it's it's unfortunate you see so in this game for example um 80 plus grades as a run blocker and a pass protector but a grade of 57.7 as a receiver yeah and that's the type of breakdown you're getting i mean look if he'd been able to pull it in one-handed then maybe that grade would have been above 90 as well but unfortunately, he wasn't. Did go up and get it. But like, so in all areas of the run game as well, there was one play uh, where he had, I think, um, I think he had to get to a guy that was outside shaded on him, and just like just grabbed hold of the dude and like swung him to the inside. And it was like, right now you're out of the play, you're done. And that was like the dude supposed to be setting the edge on the run. You know, it's just it's no, there's nobody in the league that can do that. Literally nobody else in the NFL can do that the way he's doing it. Zach Martin, Quentin Nelson, those guys you know, have a, can do that from the guard position. But the stuff that he's doing as a tackle right now is nuts. Absolutely love it. I don't have much on the Jaguars. Uh, Trevor Lawrence didn't have any turnover-worthy plays, didn't have any disastrous plays. Hang the banner. What? Hang the banner. Yeah, seriously. Um, offense tough to watch right now. Yeah. That's about it. 
it's, to the Jags. Uh, it's bad. And the Niners' defense, to their credit, they've been better the last two weeks. Did it against the Rams. Yeah, Jags this week. But uh, Niners moved to 5-5 five and five in the hunt like everyone else in the NFC. Yeah. The last 1 o'clock game here, Houston Texans, 22. Tennessee Titans, 13. Speaking of hanging the banner, mm-hmm. go ahead, man. Look, see, this is where the money line thing screws us again. It's like, oh, I picked Tennessee. Oh, look, well, you might be a liar. But if you listen, if you listen to the show, you listen to it. The very so you think first, we're, we're missing nuance here. I do. This is fake news. The headline driven fake news first, right here. The first minute of our analysis on this game was me explaining that I think there is a very real chance that the Houston Texans spring a ridiculous upset, and then you're, illustrated why. You're asking people in this world of uh, social media snippets and bite-sized information. Uh-huh. And, People who only want to read headlines and only want to read what's fed to them and not do any further research or understand nuance and everything. You want them to look at this screen right here where it says, Sam picked Tennessee. Yeah. And you're going to try to explain to them that, well, actually, I picked Houston. I was right. Actually, I nailed it. It says I picked Tennessee. But if you dig a little deeper, which no one wants to do. Dig a little deeper. You'll see I got this thing right. I mean, That's what you want people to do right now? I did tweet out the evidence. There's a video that I tweeted where I, you know, I proved, proved that I predicted this. Really what I'm asking the guys in the booth to do, right, is to essentially take the picks, money line and against the spread, and pick whichever one makes us look better, right? It's on a given game. Yeah, I think There are some where the money line pick is the one we want. And then you there guys are some games do the research. where against the spread makes us look smarter. So in this game... Against the spread makes me look smarter. You look like an idiot, whatever you do. Oh, I was off. I was right. wrong. But on this game, the against the spread pick would make me look smarter. Even if they just put Sam picked 10, Nissy, comma, but he really predicted, I wouldn't be surprised if Houston pulled an upset here, especially with yeah. Tyrod at quarterback. Or That's what they could have put up on the screen. You just put Sam picked and then it correct. It correct. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Sam, so go That's why we could go Give with. your victory lap for why you picked Tennessee, yet you also picked Houston. I mean, it went exactly the way it was supposed to for me. The Titans didn't really show up in this game. It was a weird game from start to finish. Uh, the Texans kind of, they had it in hand. Like, this really wasn't that close. And then weirdly, because obviously it's Houston and they're not very good, like late in the game, they're trying to throw it away a little bit. You're like, there is plenty of time left on the clock for them to screw this up. But... It was another game where weather definitely played a factor. Tannehill had seven turnover-worthy plays. Seven. Yeah. That is a mo- – I don't – do you know off the top of your head, like, what is the highest amount in a game from a player? It's got to uh, be close. Something John Skelton did, almost <laughs> almost certainly. No, I think uh, – so the Josh Freeman yes. off the couch – was it Vikings for the Giants? Game? No, Vikings, right? He was on the Vikings yeah. or the Giants? On He was. For the Vikings yeah. against the Giants? Maybe. Josh Freeman came off the couch yes. to play a football game for a t- team I can't read. Was it the Vikings? He what definitely he played, played for the Vikings and had a terrible game. I don't know if that's the one you're thinking of. There, I think it was a primetime game where he just showed up off the couch and had one of the worst games we've ever seen. Context, of course, is important. And I can't remember if it was just because he missed every throw or if he had 10 turnover-worthy plays or whatever in there as well. <laughs> Maybe our crack research team, which is usually like Ben working through games. Oh, I'm right sure now. Ben's not ben, busy right now. Ben's going to fire up ultimate right yeah, now. And as give the me, games fly in. Just load it up back to 06 and find the turnover where he plays by week. Um, but seven's a, it's a big number for Tannehill. Four actual interceptions. 
And uh, and it wasn't just I mean weather early on the er, the, the pick where he just completely right. misread a linebacker. But the I mean, weather was part of it, and like it, it was another one of those games where again, like when stuff when weird results like this happen, it's always because a bunch of weird things happen. Uh, you know, just a confluence of events. So, um, like the Titans trying to drive before halftime to get some points on the board, and make this a closer game, and you know start the comeback. Like intentional grounding just before halftime, 10 second runoff, game's over. <laughs> or a half is over, rather. So you go from like, oh, we may be driving to put some points on the board to actually know the half is done because you screwed up. Um, you know, a, then it tightens, the, like the punt returner makes a complete balls of the punt return, like decides he's not going to field it, turns around, tries to block the gunner, and the ball hits him in the heel. And all of a sudden, the Texans are set up and, like, first and goal, you know, ready to go again. Tyrod Taylor played well. Like, a lot of things needed to happen for this team, for this game to go the way, game to go the way it went. Yeah, it's a huge – I mean, that's – it's a big – it's a big factor that just happens sometimes in football games. That are, that's tough to predict, but, I mean, you nailed it. You got it. You, you knew that stuff was going to happen anyway. Yeah, except the pick. Um, there is a, the, the bigger picture item here is the – so the Titans are 8-3. and three. Um, we had mentioned since they lost Derrick Henry, they had the Rams game. They had the pick six. Pick goes to the five. The offense did not move the ball very well against the Rams. And then even against the Saints last week, it eh, got bailed out a little bit by a call here and there. And the offense did not move the ball great against the Saints defense, which actually just got torched. Um, so concerns about the Titans offense now post Derrick Henry. More uh, This was... You didn't see this game very often when Derrick Henry was the running back. 52 attempts for Ryan Tannehill, plus a couple sacks, you know, so they dropped right. back a ton. You did not see that often, despite my asking at times that, you <laughs> so, know, put so the ball like at they Tannehill. they don't listen to you. Hands. Well, maybe they shouldn't. Uh, there, there have been times I've said maybe there are games you don't want to rely on Derrick Henry so much, and you do want to put the ball in Tannehill's hands and spread it out and attack defenses that are better uh, on the ground and uh boy this just did not work in this one no they scored 13 points with the um and again i know game flow you throw the ball a little bit more when you're down and all that stuff but it doesn't feel like this is how the titans want to play football no it isn't i mean this this is not how they want to g- uh, get things done particularly when it's in a rainstorm or not a rainstorm but particularly when it's it's wet there's a lot of rain and you're not playing well because of it um this was fascinating because so Houston have been uh, had been leading the whole game essentially. Then the Titans just start to get back into it. They score a touchdown. It's now nineteen thirteen. There's eight minutes left on the clock essentially, and you're like, uh, here it here it comes. Right, this is the collapse. The the fact that there was so much time left on the clock. Still, here's where Houston throw it away. Um, then with the, the start of that drive. The Houston Texans get third and one, run up the middle, no gain. Fourth and one from your own 34-yard line against a team that you're a 10-point underdog against who you've been beating the whole way. You're like, we're kind of riding our luck. Do you want to give the ball back to the team that's clearly better than we are? Having had them just score, they score again, they take the lead, and the entire thing has been for nothing. Fourth and one from your own 34, they punt the ball away. That is one of the most gutless calls that any coach has made so far this season. Now, look, there's six minutes left on the clock. It's not like that first down wins you the game. But 
why would you punt that ball away? You have to back your offense and say, we need to keep this ball. And that's how you have to play those ways. That that level of aggression is how you're supposed to beat a team like Tennessee when you've been riding, not riding your luck, but when you have been unexpectedly overachieving for the game so far. They deserve to lose the game for punting the ball away. On their like own 34? Yes. You think that's the one of the most gutless calls? Yes, absolutely. Man. I, I was thinking about this last night when um, the Chargers got stuffed on fourth and one. Right. And a lot of teams, so when you go, when you, here's what's funny. We're seeing a lot more, there's just a lot more third and ones and fourth and, there's a lot more fourth and ones, right? There's a lot more just short yardage plays. I think it's becoming a more difficult call. So I, I do wonder if the numbers start to change now that we get, it's not that we have more, a bigger sample size of like one yard to go plays, but like fourth and one plays. Because defenses are loading the box. Big time on fourth and one. Yeah. And they're just, trying to, again, of course. Just go for it better. <laughs> just don't run it right up the gut. All I'm saying is I'm, I would like to see. I'm wondering if the percentages, if the conversion percentages are actually getting lower. Because teams are definitely, you don't want to throw the ball on fourth and one. It's a little, it's, you, it's a little bit riskier there, right? You know, but like, a lot of so, things have to go right. All I'm saying is teams are running, you're running QB sneak, and you're running like duo, which is basically like, you know, bunch of get a couple double team blocks and you just find a little crease and you just want to jam the running back up there but teams are they're just doubling up on the a gaps bare fronts and all that stuff and taking things away i wonder if it is a more low percentage play than it's been and you know to your point you want to keep the ball and all that stuff but there is risk in putting the ball into the other team's hands that is better than you when they've struggled a little bit offensively for whatever that whatever I, I wouldn't say it's as gutless as you're saying you have a quarterback tyrod taylor is should be one of the league's best short yardage cheat code quarterbacks right if you have tyrod taylor as your quarterback you can run the kind of option play that makes a defense wrong whatever they do whether it's a read option fake an rpo that stresses a defense to the point where something is not covered Right, If they want to take away the QB sneak or the run right up the middle with a bare front, then fine. You are collapsing inside, and Tyrod can keep the ball and scamper for a yard around the edge. If they cover that, all of a sudden he can dump it off to a receiver who's been uncovered by the fact that the dude is playing Tyrod Taylor. If you can't pick up one yard with Tyrod Taylor as your quarterback, you do not deserve to be crafting an offensive scheme in the NFL. It's not the most gutless move, man. Absolutely. It's still in your own territory. Cowardly. Going for it in your own territory, in the 30s, in your own 30, 34, wherever they were, 34, is is still a little uncharted territory in the NFL. It is uncommon to go for it. You are a 10 point underdog who is watching their lead evaporate. I get it. That you have no business owning in the first place. I understand. You're. Options are give the ball back to the team that just put up a touchdown if they get one more. But it works. has the lead. It works this time. Yeah, well, that's not the, the point. Or go for the first down, which you really should be converting given the talent that you have at quarterback, and be able to chew up at least another couple of minutes off the clock even if you go another straight, like, three it out. Just saying. I've seen more egregious decisions. Um, since Derrick Henry's gone down, Tennessee scored 28-23, now 13 points. Again, a little inflated with the pick six against the Rams a couple weeks ago. Um, so the offense 
having some issues, and now they go to New England next week. Patriots coming off of a little extra downtime because of the Thursday night game. Patriots trending in the right direction. Titans maybe trending in the wrong direction coming off of this game. It's going to be an interesting one next week, which we will preview on Wednesday. One of the benefits of the Titans starting 8-2 and two with a difficult schedule. They had the easy schedule, right? Easiest schedule. Well, they just lost some of that uh, easiness because they lost to one of the teams they were supposed to beat. Um, anyway, the number one seed wide open here in New England, not only in first place, but actually like in the mix for the number one seed, especially if they beat Tennessee next week. It is crazy right now in the AFC. Um, I think that's it for the 1 o'clock games. There's three 4 o'clock. We have four more games to discuss here. 4 o'clock games. Uh, Let's go Cincinnati 32, Las Vegas 13. Uh, It was a a close game. I mean, it was close for much of it, and uh, Cincinnati pulls away. It was like early season Bengals where they just uh, laid the smack down late. A couple big runs by Joe Mixon to seal the deal. He ran the ball well. Um, And another early season type of Bengals game where they ran the ball way more than they threw it. Didn't even do much through the air but didn't matter um that was one of the themes this weekend sam even in a dome here in vegas rushing attacks were were strong for a lot of the winning teams here and uh mixon and the Bengals did a did a really nice job up front yeah uh they did like the Bengals. so this was a game of like two teams are basically in the same spot right they've both been wobbling the last couple of weeks they're both still in reasonable shape in terms of overall record and contention heading into the game, it mattered a lot to either one of them in terms of like playoff seeding, the chase of the wild card, all those kinds of things. And it looked like one of the two teams, you know, was capable and interested in making that happen. The Raiders, I think, are sort of falling apart a little bit based off where they were earlier in the season. I don't know how much it's an easy narrative to connect where they are now with the things that have happened to them in terms of John Gruden getting fired, Henry Ruggs getting arrested all uh, and cut from the team. It, it's easy to draw a straight line between those things and say, well, you know, what team could withstand all that kind of turmoil? On the other hand, it might just be that the Raiders were overachieving where they were earlier in the season, and now they're not. Um, but for the Bengals, like they actually have the capacity to still – you know, beat teams like that, and they they're, they had regression as well, but theirs felt like they went from the high end of variance with throwing to Jamar Chase to the low end of variance, and they're going to bounce back and equalize somewhere in the middle, and somewhere in the middle is still, like, more than productive enough to be really good. You also got, you've also gotten Derek Carr regression over these last few weeks, and how much of that, how much of that, look, I know the, the Derek, the, uh, the Henry Ruggs thing, I, I don't want to just focus on the uh, on the football part of it. It was a horrible, it was a horrible thing. I'm just I want to acknowledge the football component there, where rugs or a deep threat has been, had been kind of like the the catalyst for this Raiders offense over the last two years. Aguilar last year, rugs this year, a more aggressive Derek Carr. I mean, since since that point, you have lost. Uh, you have lost that deep threat, or at least that guy that defenses are accounting for, and it's put more pressure on either other receivers to step up or Derek Carr to trust other receivers thrown down the field. He has not played great. He now has seven turnover-worthy plays over the last three weeks, and that includes against the Giants where you had a big comeback opportunity, and he, he, he threw a pick six in that game. He had a big comeback opportunity, throws it away there, had a chance to make a comeback against the Bengals, throws it away again. Um, 
so yeah, I think you know. It, so did Carr's regression happen in part because you're just losing a key component of the offense, or was he just he was playing really well, but just way above his normal threshold? And he's just back. I mean, he's got an 80 passing grade now, which is right in the range where he's been in previous years, 81, 83. He's is he just is he back to his normal level? Which you know because he was starting from he was one of the highest graded quarterbacks in the league after week seven from a passing grade standpoint. Did Derek Carr just regress back into what he is? Or how much do you actually blame all these other pieces, Gruden, Ruggs, and all this stuff, right? It's easy to create a narrative. It's also easy to say, hey, he's just found, it, found his level. Um, he's gotten less aggressive. So one of the things that was characteristic of his incredible play earlier in the season was how much he was attacking deep down the field and how efficient he was when he was attacking deep down the field. Now, they weren't always going to Henry Ruggs, so it's not like a one-for-one like one thing. Hey, you take the one guy that's got blazing speed out of the offense and the deep ball isn't there anymore because they were going to guys like Hunter Renfro and you know a bunch of other people. But over the last three weeks, Derrick Henry's... Uh, or Derek, what is wrong? Derek Carr, his percentage of deep passing... Um, has nosedived like he's got 10 deep shots in the last three weeks out of 120 dropbacks essentially yeah and he was i forget what he was before but he was one of the most aggressive court he was up at like 17 18 percent which was like leading the league um so it's it's taken a massive dive downwards and he's been less efficient when he has gone deep so the fa- removing henry ruggs from the offense has made a dramatic effect to the way that Derek carr is playing the game um which probably is even greater than just having him not there as a deep threat. Um, now, Deshaun Jackson is there now. I don't have a great reason why Deshaun Jackson hasn't like immediately fixed that because whatever Henry Ruggs brought to the table, Deshaun Jackson should be able to bring, and then some, even him yeah. now, like just the way he plays the game. Uh, maybe it's a case of like you need longer for him to learn the entire playbook and kind of get in deep with everything and understand like have the full options there he had 10 receiving snaps yesterday I, they hit zay jones on a deep ball a couple of weeks ago i feel like they're trying to make zay jones that guy you know i mean, I, mean? I think they just don't know who the guy is yeah. anymore like they just don't have that guy so now that you're trying to like just do it with anybody and it doesn't work the same and and, and and here's the reason why you need that deep threat too or at least the way the way the raiders have made it made it make it work have made it work hunter renfro Beautiful underneath slot receiver, right? Does what he does extremely well. Darren Waller, your mismatch weapon, he was their big guy yesterday. Of course, he can um, do a lot of nice things. You just need that that top layer of the defense accounted for, which opens things up for Waller and for Renfro. Uh, Brian Edwards has not – I mean, they didn't play in overtime in this game. So sure. you don't have Brian Edwards breaking out and becoming T.O. in overtime like he likes to. Um, so there are issues there. You know, there are issues that you know the Raiders have to have to figure out and adjust. And unlike some of the other teams across the NFL, the Raiders have not run the ball well at all this year. Josh Jacobs, Kenyon Drake, the O line played better last yesterday as far as you know what they did up front from a run blocking standpoint. But you just have not gotten the run game production, and that's what makes other. Te- it seems like that's what makes other teams better. Is okay, okay if the passing attack isn't as good in a given day, you can make up for it on the ground and the Raiders just have not had that margin of error this year Bengals do though and I thought you know Joe Mixon ran the ball extremely well like I said uh forced three missed tackles but just again he just did a really nice job creating a couple big plays there that were there were game changers for the Bengals so that's it 
And uh, we said the Bengals' defense, man, they were they, they they bounced back and did a much better job in this one they after did. being the uh, the get right game for uh, for the Jets and then for the Browns. Yeah, but I, I think that does say more about the Raiders offense that it does the Bengals defense like I, I don't want to take away what they did like Trey Hendrickson had a good game um uh da, 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 da. who am I thinking of the slot corner whose name Mike Hilton um yeah. Mike Hilton made a couple of really nice reads and shut down some kind of plays that are supposed to be relatively easy gains um like he he's a difference maker for that defense but like again this is just the Raiders offense is not the same without without the threat of a big play in it and they don't have that right now people say my curls look extra tight this morning i think you know, who just, is saying that i don't know some guy in the youtube chat i went back to check out youtube somebody said your curls look extra tight this morning yeah i mean he's making fun of me obviously but that's fine it's okay anyway if you're in the youtube chat hit that thumbs up help us go viral even more Appreciate everybody tuning in live on a Monday morning. Love being with you guys. Reviewing everything that happened in the previous week of the NFL. Good for the Bengals. Six and four. In the hunt like everybody else. Yeah. In the AFC. Hashtag in the hunt. That's our new hashtag. All right. We've got two more of those four o'clock games. You want to you go right to Dallas, Kansas City? We ready? Okay. The biggest game of the week. Kansas City Chiefs, 19. Dallas Cowboys, nine. Again, I repeat once again. Uh, so I picked Kansas City. Oh, nice. I picked Kansas City. You picked Dallas. Mm. Yeah. You thought Dallas was going to – you picked them to win. That was a money line. Yeah. I thought they would win. Yeah. 19-9. Um, to 9. Now, Dallas had – Amari Cooper came down with COVID late in the week. Yes. We didn't know they weren't going to have my, so uh, I thought that, Amari Cooper. I thought that when they had their two best receivers. Understood. Both Understood. of whom they lost in the game. Then C.D. Lamb gets concussed during the game. Those on the interception, right? Yes. Dak, uh, Traverius uh, Ward makes a really nice interception, slightly underthrown. Deep ball. Um, clearly, Dak was off. Again. And the Chiefs, he was off again. The Chiefs' uh, defense was fantastic. And again, if you are flipping channels right now, everybody's telling you the Chiefs have a Super Bowl caliber defense right now. Is that reality or were the Cowboys just bad and hurt? Uh, well, so Kansas City's defense looked really good. Now, there the debate is, was their defense amazing or was Dallas's offense in a funk again, which is, what, the second or third time in a few weeks that that's happened to them? The big, but the, like, the point, if you're like, hey, Kansas City is back, is, well, where's the offense still? Like, uh, Dallas's I think defense is not incredible. I think the, the Chiefs scored 19, they missed a field goal and all this. Like, the points don't always completely tell the story. I thought, the yeah, the offense is still not, the same explosive offense. Do they put together a few drives here and there where it's like, wow, yeah, Which you're faster have. than everybody. Yeah, you, you're faster than everybody. But it's not necessarily the same. Mahomes uh, Mahomes turns it over with a fumble. The ball hits Tyree, uh, J- uh, Travis Kelsey right in the numbers and bounces backwards for an interception. I mean, some of the weird turnover luck showed up again. But it's not a scary Chiefs offense. Once again, top to bottom. And, and and I think that's as big of a story as them giving up nine. Yeah. And, and Dallas didn't um, – they didn't do what the Raiders did. Like, they didn't rock out there with, hey, here's cover three all day. Have fun. They also didn't do, like – they didn't do a complete pivot to the kind of two, four, six type of coverage shells that have slowed down, slowed down the Chiefs. They ran a lot of man coverage, and they ran, they ran a lot of cover two as well. So they, they did a kind of halfway house, which I think is probably fair to say – you know, 
split the difference and say we're definitely not going to do what the Raiders did because that's clearly suicidal. On the other hand, us becoming a completely different defense for this one week is probably a bit too much to ask as well. So let's try and figure out a middle ground here. I think they charted that reasonably well, and I think it did do a half-decent job of slowing down that Chiefs offense, which as much as it, it hasn't, it didn't look like it has the last few years or, in fact, last week, it also didn't seem to panic the way it did earlier in the year when, when things went bad. True. Now, maybe that was because they weren't behind. Like, if Dallas's offense had been cooking, maybe you would have seen the Chiefs tighten up again and them start to feel like they need to push and start to compound mistakes with more mistakes and the whole thing spiraling. But because they didn't, they were in that situation and they were ahead and Dallas didn't look like they were going to score points. Um, they didn't seem to have the same level of kind of panic and, and concern when things were going against them or when they made mistakes or when things started to fire. So I think the Chiefs are... I think it's still up in the air. I don't think we know yet where they are. But the fact that they've been able to get through their struggles and are now like pretty well positioned at the top of their division again and in pretty good spot for AFC seeding, like it's huge for them. Yeah, I mean, look, I don't want to, I don't want to have like it's not like a downer on the Chiefs. It's it's good to win football games. It's good to win football games in different ways. I. I don't think the defense is leading them to a Super Bowl. You know no. what I mean? Like it's it's it does feel like last year's defense though, which ended up as average, right? So the same way we were talking about the Dolphins earlier, right? They were so bad early on, they've crept back toward average as a football team. That's what the Chiefs have done defensively. Now there are some tangible additions that have been a part of that, whether it's trading for Melvin Ingram or uh, you know, changing snap counts for Daniel Sorensen and other players, right? I mean, moving... Uh, Lining Chris, Chris Jones the hell back inside. Putting Chris Jones back inside where he's got... Where I, I saw the NFL numbers, and I, I didn't go back and check if they're doing this still, but it was like three and a half sacks, three QB hits, two tackles for loss. I'm like, I'm pretty sure those are all the same. I'm pretty yeah. sure they count them all as the same play. They did. Anyway, Jones makes a lot of big plays. Uh, yes. Batted pass. I believe he batted the pass, too, on Dak's last interception, right? I mean, Jones... Jones has those game wrecker. His games where he legitimately wrecks a game. He right? has he has the second best uh, win rate in terms of pass rushing from an interior alignment this season behind Aaron Donald. Like he is the second best interior pass rusher in the league. And you took that guy and threw him to the outside, and we're like, well, maybe he's a good edge rusher as well. Absurd idea. The more you think about it, and the more they move him back inside, it's like that is a massive difference maker to this defense like we'll figure out the edge rushing thing who the hell cares as long as you have a guy as impactful as he is in the middle that's like step one we will patch together pass rush on the edge with guys like melvin ingram and well well melvin ingram is grading about as well as jones was as an edge right and then jones is obviously you have jones on the inside and jones is on the interior where he's way better than anybody else that they had over there so yes everything is better, uh, in part because of Mel- Melvin Ingram, those corners uh, playing much better football. Again, Ward, uh, Traverius Ward had that really nice interception. Legereus Need playing much better in coverage than he was earlier in the year. You see Tyron Matthew flying around the field, Juan Thornhill, like all those pieces that they had last year. Plus, like when they're lining up and they're blitzing and being aggressive, it just it feels a little scarier than it did early in the year. Because early in the year, they were busting coverages left and right. It's like, why are there... Why is there nobody near this guy 40 yards down the field? You're not seeing that as much from the Chiefs. I mean, that might be the biggest thing that they've gotten better at, just not having busted coverages like they did. 
They uh, so we've been really complimentary of like how deep Dallas's receiving core is. This is like a trend. The NFL. Everybody that we thought had this really incredible deep receiving core have immediately been tested on how deep they are by like losing two or three of their most important receivers. So you lose Amari Cooper before the game. You lose uh, C.D. Lamb in the game. All of a sudden, like your starting duo is now Michael Gallup and Cedric Wilson, who you're like, those guys are amazing, number two and number threes. And if you have to, you know, if one of them has to take a step up the depth chart, you're good. But so they missed, like Dak missed Michael Gallup on a double move that could have easily, been, would have been a huge gain, maybe even a touchdown. Um, Cedric Wilson dropped a couple of passes that were pretty key. Noah Brown, who all of a sudden is getting targets. Like Noah Brown, I think, had two targets and he dropped both of them. Um, so all of a sudden, like, what was a strength, as soon as it gets propelled up, and now that's the thing you're relying on, is not good enough to win. Yeah, that was like early in the game. You saw Dak missed a deep ball. Then he comes back with a dime on third down right through Noah Brown's hands. And it's like, okay, that's, it's that type of day yeah. for, the, for the Cowboys. Dak finished, by the way, on passes 10-plus yards. And just to – this is how we described the Chiefs last year. Remember the Chiefs' defense? It was like, okay, they don't do anything great, but they don't allow completions beyond the sticks. Like, here's this random stat, which is very, very important. Don't allow completions for first downs. Um, the Chiefs were really good at that last year. In this game, Dak was 3-for-16 – on 10 plus yard throws now there were three drops in there but even if you give them you know adjust the completion percentage it's six for 16 right three for 16 in this game what do you mm. smile what happened that's bad yeah. um can we give a little credit a lot of credit to micah parsons yes micah parsons has now broken i believe the dallas cowboys rookie sack record which is held by demarcus ware Right, So it's not like this is a record that's inconsequential and not a particularly high achievement. DeMarcus Ware is one of the greatest pass rushers of the last 20 years. Micah Parsons just broke his rookie sack record. We're in week 11, and Micah Parsons has basically been moonlighting as a pass rusher. It's like a second job yeah, he's to help line- out the Cowboys. He's a linebacker. Right. The dude is a full-time linebacker who was, for a few games, moonlighted as a pass rusher while they are battered by injuries to all their edge rushers. Um, that's like a weekend job and has broken DeMarcus Ware's sack record. He had seven total pressures in this game, a couple of sacks. Now, he's done a lot of that damage against bad tackles, but there, we've said this before, there is a skill set to that. Not every pass rusher is dominant against bad tackles. No, that's valuable. But he is freakishly athletic and against bad tackles just destroys those dudes and he's had multiple games this year now where he's had like a pass rushing grade of 90 built off just wrecking people that are not particularly good i was thinking about this yesterday watching parsons right the 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 word you always used for kyle pitts during draft season was unicorn is parsons as much a unicorn as kyle pitts so we 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 brought up the idea before of I can't really remember a guy that's split positions between linebacker and defensive line the way he did. People since that, obviously, you know, when you do that, people are like, what about X, Y, and Z? People brought up a few. Um, Clay Matthews went from legitimate edge rusher to playing linebacker, like, full-time. Did all right doing that. Uh, the other one that I forgot about was, do uh, you remember when the Bengals made James Harrison a random Sam linebacker? Yes. You're like, you're not rushing the passer anymore. You're playing two-down Sam linebacker. They had Marvin Lewis. 
you know, and they, and they just he, they weren't running a, a three four. Yeah, where Harrison always played. Right. So he was the Sam. Yes. Yeah. And he did really well at that. Actually. Yeah. <laughs> Bizarre. Like. But again, position edge, change. But moving from edge to linebacker is a common move. Like Teddy Bruschi was an edge in college, and he became you know a really good NFL linebacker. Joe Schobert was a legitimate pass rushing edge at Wisconsin. Moved to like that move happens all the time because you're taking a guy. Yeah, but rushes, usually not in the NFL. It happens like from college to the NFL. It doesn't typically happen usually, yeah. in the NFL. Uh, you know, Jamie Collins has done stuff like, like guys. But my point is though, it's still a skill set thing. Pass rushers move to linebacker. Hassan Reddick. Now he had to move back to yes. edge, but Hassan Reddick went from edge in college to linebacker back to edge. We again, you don't see too many legitimate three down linebacker types just step down and become pass rushers. There's also a huge and rush. The, maybe that's what the Seahawks need to do to Jamal Adams full time. Just be be a pass rusher. There's also a huge difference, I think, between playing Sam linebacker in the mid-2000s and playing off-the-ball linebacker in the year 2021. Like, those positions have become dramatically different. Like, A, the two-down Sam linebacker doesn't really exist anymore. And if it did, it would have dramatically different responsibilities than it has right now. Um, I, do th- I, I do think there's something to the idea that I mean, look, Micah Parsons is clearly a very good edge rusher in his own right. He isn't just athletically freaky, but he has, like, pass rush moves that work. So there's a difference, I think, between him and just, like, taking your most athletic guy and making him rush the passer. But I do think there's something to the idea that there are certain players that if you're athletically freaky enough, you might just throw them down there on third downs because what the hell? Like, a guy like Jamal Adams or Derwin, the player that must not be mentioned— it's close enough. It's good. Uh, or Jalen Ramsey, right? Players that are freaky enough Ooh, athletically. Jalen could do it. Just say it's third and long. Go like, If you're the Chiefs, right? It's third and long. We need somebody off the edge to get some pass rush because Chris Jones needs to play inside. So we could put, you know, some random pass rusher that's not very good, or we could just throw a most athletic guy there and see what happens. Like, if you're the Chiefs, how, how well would Willie Gay do rushing off the edge in third and 11? I don't know, but I'd be willing to take a shot and find out. He almost had another pick. He tried to jump a route. Dalton Schultz early. Willie Gay, he's going to be that guy. He's going to have a huge playoff interception this year. Okay. But like, the, the Chiefs just have a bunch of those guys, like a Willie Gay, like, that do uh, kind of make those plays. They could do some stuff. Anyway, want to give a ton of credit to uh, Parsons. You... Uh, on the PFF NFL Daily today, we talked about what's what's signal, what's noise. It's what we discussed. You think this is uh, noisy for the for the Cowboys in their offense because of the injuries? I think they were missing three of their most important five players on offense, and that's probably an issue to anybody. Like if they get now, it might be a problem that lingers because I don't think either cd lamb or amari cooper will be playing on thanksgiving on a short week on thursday so it it might be a thing like it might be another week of dealing with this but when they get tyron smith back which okay that tyron smith has a fairly lengthy injury history at this point tyron smith back at left tackle amari cooper and cd lamb back in the lineup like this is a different team yeah Um, it's even a different team in most games like if Cedric Wilson catches two passes instead of dropping them. And if Noah Brown catches the passes that are sent his way, like they had badly timed, inconvenient drops from the guys that needed to step up and make plays. Um, And of course, Dak missing like a key deep ball to Michael Gallup. Like there was more in the tank even in this game. So I think Dallas is okay. Like this was a, 
was an unideal game to drop. I think this was a game there for the taking for them, and they didn't. But I think a large part of that was injuries. Dallas falls to 7-3, and three, Chiefs 7-4, and highest-rated Chief on offense. Clyde Edwards-Alaire makes his return, uh, running the ball pretty well behind, again, the strength of the Chiefs' offense, the offensive line. I mean, I'm just happy we stamped out the uh, finger point that he did. Like, you can't have that. No, can't have. Look, the kids need to be taught some respect. And if anything is going to teach them respect, it's a flag. Now they know. They know. Now they know. Don't do it. You should allow taunting in primetime games when the kids are asleep. That should be the rule. Like after 11 p.m., taunting. Second half. Second second half half of primetime games. games, Taunt all you want. (laughs) Taunting's legal. Any other time, no good. But they're going to watch the highlights the next day. You can't do that. Like the NFL would have to stop promoting their own taunting, you know? I mean, they used to have a whole jacked up segment. Yeah. Right? Before they knew uh, brain injuries. Uh, Arizona Cardinals 23, Seattle Seahawks 13. Colt McCoy, Cardinals are now 2-1. and one. Yeah. And uh, when Colt McCoy starts and finishes the game, they're 2-0. Oh. He got <laughs> hurt last week. Uh, we, you know, again, finding a way to create offense with Colt. Keep it throwing the ball underneath. Getting Zach Ertz involved. Getting A.J. Green involved. Rondell Moore has the, the, the Jalen Waddle. Uh, stat line, 11 catches for 51 yards, yeah. 4.6 per catch. But uh, anyway, the Cardinals, man, their defense did a nice job, and Russ uh, still really isn't back, huh? No. No. To the point where, I mean, I guess there's no point in starting Geno Smith as a quarterback, but it, uh, the way they're playing right now, Geno might be a better bet to win games than Russell Wilson is. There's already a lot of talk. Let's talk about the Seahawks in a second. Um, Cardinals nine and two, impressive run here with Colt McCoy just to maintain the they're they're the number one seed in the NFC right now. The fact that they've been winning games with neither DeAndre Hopkins nor Kyler Murray is hugely impressive. Um, That they've only dropped one game with Colt McCoy at quarterback without their number one receiver, I think, is massive for them. Uh, And okay, sometimes the backup quarterback is kind of a passenger to these things, but like Colt McCoy executed a game-winning drive effectively yesterday they just iced this thing and shut down any prospect of seattle coming back and making this a game like he won this game by doing that like that was really impressive for them and that's the it's the perfect it's the perfect thing you want from a backup quarterback right you know those guys are not capable of winning a bunch of games in a stretch all you want is a dude that says we have three games can you go two and one yeah colt mccoy's done that he has done that and uh they have they have their bye now I believe, Arizona. Sure. I think they're heading to their bye, so we'll probably see Kyler coming out of that. Really huge for the Cardinals. I mean, it, it just really huge for the Cardinals to maintain their yeah. status there as the number one seed uh, in the crazy NFC. And look, they've got some challenges down the road too, but this was one of them, right? You're supposed to go, you're going on the road to Seattle. Seattle's, they have a crowd now. It's not last year in Seattle. Right. Russ is another week removed from, from the mallet. And uh, it's just... Uh, it's a good win. And now in Seattle... Hang on. They're, they're a team who we've been talking about Dallas's receivers. Their depth got tested, and they didn't show up. Um, Tampa Bay's depth has been tested, and they haven't really shown up either. There's a few teams like that where we thought they had really great receiving cores. As soon as you tested the depth, it's been shown wanting. Now, okay, Arizona have only really been missing one guy, DeAndre Hopkins, but it's a pretty important one. Two, if you count Max Williams going down earlier in the season with a torn knee... 
but their depth showed up. Like Rondale Moore with the 11 catches for 51 yards, moving the chains. Every time I looked up, A.J. Green was making like a ridiculous jump ball. Yeah. Even on passes that shouldn't have been jump balls, right? Like just a dig right over the middle that for some reason is airmailed two, two yards over his head. A.J. Green goes up and snags it. He made a few uh, really good plays as well. Zach Ertz is a key part of this offense now, having replaced what they lost in Max Williams. Um so their depth has shown up. Like, even with a backup quarterback, Arizona's – like, that's one of the reasons I think that they are firmly in contention and, like, maybe the favorites for their division. They're, they've shown up and won the games where their, des- their depth has been tested. All that said, Arizona did get away. Uh, Colt McCoy did get away with three turnover-worthy plays, no interceptions, recovered his own fumble, uh, you know, had a – yeah, got away with some, which was nice. You know, luck helps as well. Now in Seattle, things have turned to, uh, is, is it time to blow it up? Are they overreacting in Seattle? Is it time to blow it up? Pete, Russ, the whole thing, you know, it's just over. Well, it might be forced upon them. I mean, Russell Wilson was allegedly unhappy in the offseason to the point where he went on, you know, a national show and voiced his displeasure. And for a guy like Russell Wilson, who's like one of the most bland, you know, hallmark, he's like a life, a human hallmark card. You know what I mean? Just nothing but platitudes and, you know, Mr. What the hell is the thing? Mr. What's his shtick? Uh, too much? No, Mr. All of, the, all of the above. Mr. Ultimate? Not ultimate. That's our, that's PFF ultimate. Yeah, well done. Unlimited. Mr. Yeah, Unlimited. Yeah, yeah, whatever it is. Anyway, he's like a human hallmark. Whatever card. it was, the other suggestions that I gave aren't any better <laughs> or worse than Mr. Unlimited. Yeah, that might have been it, Unlimited. It's Mr. That Unlimited. Right. That's is what it? it is. Okay. Yeah. You could have just said that at the start and we wouldn't have had this. Yeah, but the other ones like the Mr. Mr. Too Much and all that stuff, they're similar. Yeah. So this is Russell Wilson, right? Just, just this bland, nothing, beige person down the line. <laughs> And that guy goes on TV and is like, I'm pretty unhappy about getting hit so often. Now, leaving aside the fact that half of those hits are his fault, the fact that he was, a, he was prepared to do that, I think, and I said at the time, was a fairly clear statement that things are not well in Seattle. And they go, and, you know, all right, we'll go get you Gabe Jackson. Fine, but Gabe Jackson isn't a particularly good player at this point. So it might have placated him for a while. But all of a sudden, the dude's back and things are bad again. And not only is the offensive line not any better, it's probably getting worse because Dwayne Brown is getting old and declining. And if you're Russell Wilson, you just had like your first significant injury of any description that knocked you out of some some games. So even if you're like, okay, it was a freak injury, it's my hand hitting a helmet, in Russell Wilson's head, it's probably like, this is symptomatic of the fact that I'm getting hit too often. And I'm a guy that wants to play till I'm 67 years old, like Tom Brady, and now, this is what's going to keep me from doing that. These guys in front of me that are supposed to be protecting me are getting me hurt, and I'm done with it. So if you're – like, there's a – I would say a pretty good chance at this point that in the offseason, Russ is like, okay, we need some major changes here, or I want out. Yeah, we're talking – but from like a Seahawks perspective now too, last year they had three draft picks. They came out of last season. They say this all the time. It's like, oh, the roster's not great. How are we going to refix it? We have three draft picks. Don't have a first-rounder again because of Jamal Adams, right? I mean, you've invested so much in Jamal Adams, who had a 39 coverage grade yesterday. Mm-hmm. Defense, that got picked apart. Now, there was a the, – the, the real turning point in the game is um, – was it Ryan Neal, I think, tried to pick off um, Colt McCoy? I don't know if it was Neal. 
I lost to it. Uh, it was a Sidney Jones. Somebody tried did to pick, pick him off. off, and then they found that's what. I, yes, dropped. Yeah, so Sidney Jones picks off Colt McCoy. They're, it's a ten point game, and so it just shows like the fine line between all this stuff. It's sixteen to six at the time. Colt McCoy tries to throw a pick. Seattle would have brought it back to about the five, and what just barely hit the ground. Like, How do you just, feel about that pick? Because that's one of those ones where nobody thought that was not an interception, including the guy that caught it. Yeah, like Sidney Jones felt cheated by the replay that showed he probably didn't actually come up with it like those are plays where it feels like if it feels like you found something on replay that wasn't really there you know what i mean i understand that when you break it down you look on replay it's like yeah that ball did hit the ground he didn't quite have but at the time there's literally not a human being in the stadium including on both sides every single member of the playing field thought that was a pick Nobody was looking for, like, you know what I mean? Like, sometimes players just know this is one that we need to look at. This is iffy. Nobody thought that was iffy. But when you dug it up and you went on the slow mo, it's like, oh, look, actually, well, actually, that's not a turnover. You get to keep the ball. I, I don't know if I like that. I know. I mean, you're the guy that's like, oh, it's a great play. Just let it, let them, let them all stand. Let all the great play. It's just like, if there's not a human being in the stadium that wants you to look at that, why look at it? Yeah. Um, I don't have an opinion on – I mean, I, I think you just kind of, like, let it play out. You had to overturn I mean, if you have to overturn it, you have to overturn it. But it, I'm just saying that was the – just like the Packers play where Darnell Savage has a game-changing interception. This is a game-changing interception that Sidney Jones had and completely complete the catch. He was the only guy who graded well in coverage for Seattle. That is as big of an issue as what's happening offensively there is Jamal Adams and Bobby Wagner and Jordan Brooks and all these guys. Like, their, their scheme is being attacked. Uh, they don't have the best corners in the world, but as there are linebackers and safeties that are getting attacked in this system, there's not an adjustment happening here. They had made a couple of weeks ago, they did a nice job on underneath stuff, but they're just giving up far too many easy completions in Seattle. So the whole roster's got um, some issues. Yep. And now you've got Russ playing hurt, and he just and he can't he can't raise the level of everybody else around him, and that's why you score 13 points and lose to the Cardinals with Colt McCoy as the starter. They almost lost to Cole McCoy last year in the Giants. Or did they lose to the Giants last year? It was a close game. Either way, Colt McCoy doing stuff, getting stuff done. Impressive win by the Cardinals. We'll have plenty to talk about with Seattle this offseason. I think there's going to be some stories coming out of there. Give it a quick look. Make sure we haven't missed anything else as I move to what I think is the last game. Pittsburgh Steelers at the Los Angeles Chargers. Chargers 41-37 to victory. I hope you didn't go to sleep early on this one. Because the Steelers made it interesting with block punts and fourth down, uh, stuffed the Chargers on fourth down in their own territory, the you know, play I was talking about earlier, to make this one close. But the Chargers pull away to move to 6-4, and four, and the Steelers drop to 5-4-1. and one. Block punt, a batted pass. Oh, batted uh, pass interception, and then the fourth and one. Like, there was three legitimate plays that are just like, oh, the Steelers, you have the ball with uh, See, the shortest of short fields. Here's the downside to being able to throw a strawberry through a battleship or whatever the hell it was that, that Justin Herbert was supposed to be able to do. If you accidentally being a dude in the head with the ball, it's going to go 17 miles in the air and <laughs> hang there for a week and a half until somebody picks it off. Cameron Sutton made the diving interception on that play. I So when I first saw that play, I saw obviously the dude get uh, Cameron Hayward batted down. And by batted down... He stood high enough up in the air that it hit him in the face. Really hit him in the head. It's yeah. not quite the same as like you got his hands in the throwing lane and you know uh, obstructed it. So gets beaten in the head. Ball goes up mile. Cameron Sutton picks it off. Gets drilled by what looked like a pretty dirty shot from 
the Chargers' offensive lineman. I forget who I it didn't was. Think it, was, it wasn't dirty. He was still moving. Pretty iffy. There was another one he as had well. To go, and... He had to go uh, make sure he was down by contact. It was Storm Norton, by the way. Okay. Storm had some, some rough blocks again. But Storm comes flying in to make sure that he's down by contact. And um, yeah. it was Sutton, right? So Sutton's still rolling. I mean, look. And where his helmet hit happened to be where it's When a dude is on the ground, like, you can make sure he's down by contact without, like, torpedoing your fat ass. 330 pounds. You're trying to go fast. It's tough to slow down. It was one of the Bengals games as well where a dude got hit in the head like that that felt pretty pretty rough. Anyway. There's no way of saying, I'm going to hit him in the helmet as he's rolling. No, but there's a way of being like, I'm not going to literally launch myself like a human torpedo knowing that I have no control of where that lands. Maybe. Um, the Anyway, so Cameron Hayward gets hit in the head by this. Ball goes up. Sutton picks it off. Goes down. Tackled. Then the next thing you see is like Sutton on the ground sort of being looked at because the dude's just been torpedoed by Storm Norton trying to make, make it. But initially, um, I didn't realize that I didn't realize that hit had done that. So I thought that briefly that the pass from Justin Herbert beating Cameron Hayward in the head had like Oh, you thought that knocked him out? Yeah, like yeah. That? Like like the replacements. The guy know? with the helmet, yeah. When yeah. uh when footsteps Falco drills the defensive lineman in the face with the ball. I thought maybe that'd have been what happened to Cameron Hayward. Ironhead Hayward's son apparently didn't have as iron a head. But that's not what happened. It would have been a much better story. It would. I think. Uh, so Justin Herbert has uh, his best game in a while. Uh, really nice job throwing the ball and then, you know, setting records here because he ran uh, he ran for 90 yards and threw for 382. That was the first time anyone's ever, what, rushed for over 75 with over 350, whatever the cutoffs are. He ran for a lot and he passed for a lot. The Steelers <laughs> tried to play man coverage and didn't account for Herbert, and he did a really nice job picking up yards on the ground, scrambling. Obviously led the Chargers with those 90. Austin Eckler finds the end zone four times, two on the ground, two through the air. But most importantly, I think Herbert just – it was like early season Herbert, not missing a ton of throws. Um, and then the absolute game changer was Mike Williams just being let wide open up the sideline for the, uh, for the game-winning touchdown, 53-yarder where the Steelers just didn't cover anybody. The Steelers, by the way, depleted defensively. No T.J. Watt, no Minka Fitzpatrick. Yeah. Uh, who else were they missing? There was one other. Uh, Joe Hayden. So the Steelers were battling with their backups and um, had some freak plays to, to keep it close. But ultimately, yeah, the Chargers won a game that they should have won given the uh, injuries on the defensive side for Pittsburgh. Yeah, and it's another one where I'm not sure it, like, it answered any of the things that have been concerning about the Chargers. It feels, like a li- it feels a little bit like the Raiders game for Kansas City last week where it's like, did they get right? Did they fix what was wrong, or did they just run up against a defense where it didn't matter? Um, heading into this game, you're kind of quietly like, why? what is the reason that Justin Herbert is less aggressive or more conservative with the ball than you think Justin Herbert should be, given what he can do? Um, like his average depth of target has been really low across two different offensive schemes now. He doesn't have the kind of big-time thrower that you would think he does, given what he's capable of. And you're know, like, okay— Joe Lombardi has, by our metrics, uh, the, about the least unique scheme in the NFL. Just this, it's, it does, it's so the same. It doesn't do anything different. Um, it doesn't seem to be asking a lot of Justin Herbert. It seems to be sort of pushing him into this uh, mode of play. And Eric used this phrase on the, um, on the preview show on Sunday that Herbert 
because of his personality, sort of defaults into this I just work here mode where it's like, well, if you're not going to give me the scheme that lets me do these things, I'm just going to do what what is asked of me and this is the result. Um, just being a good employee here. Right. Just I'm just I'm just doing what I'm told over here. Yeah. And this is another game where like his average depth of target was 6.3 yards downfield. It's not like this opened it up. It's just that it didn't matter because all of a sudden the Steelers are busting coverages and they're letting those big plays for him to run into and they're gaining yards after the catch and all these kinds of things. And, okay, they racked up 41 points. They look great doing it. But did it actually answer any of the questions we had like four days ago? No. I, here's what I find interesting, though, about Herbert. Because, you know, you know me, I would – I would much rather see him being aggressive, chucking it down the field. He had two big-time throws in this one. You see the deep out layered over the linebacker in front of the corner. You see a seam route up you know, against a, a cover-two linebacker. Like I love those throws. I love that Herbert can make those and everything. I'm kind of, now, he's also he's got the third lowest turnover-worthy play percentage in the NFL behind Tom Brady and Kyler Murray this yep. year. I am impressed that Herbert can play that game. But I think it, it. But he's also one of the lowest in big time throw rate. Where Brady's one of the highest, Murray is one of the highest, Herbert's one of the lowest. So this goes back to that earlier question, like four and a half hours ago, early in the podcast, where we said, "Would you rather have a guy highly volatile, big time throws, and turnover worthy plays?" I think because of what Herbert's capable of, I would rather have him take a you know have a mistake or two in there in order to create big plays because well, they're not well they're not at like the mercy of their playmakers either. They've got, they've got a Jared Cook who can run the seam. They have a Keenan Allen who can work every level of the field. They have a Mike Williams who wins down the field, right? They have guys who can win at the intermediate and the deep level. Um, I'm impressed that Herbert can play this safer, conservative level, uh, play uh, this conservative game where he just didn't miss a ton of throws yesterday. I love that. I, think, I didn't think he had that in the bag coming out of Oregon, right? But I would still try to trend the other way and be a little bit more aggressive with him going forward. And particularly like those the big time throws that he had in that game yesterday are the perfect they're the perfect sort of thing to raise when you're questioning why does the rest of the offense not look why is it not more like that all the time? The first like that first one um fitting it between the linebacker and the DB from the far hash like 20 yards. That is a throw not many quarterbacks can make. Like we talked about it before Tua. Tua cannot make that throw. Literally can't make it. Yeah. If he makes that throw, it is picked off one hundred percent of the time. Well he so- cannot fit it into that window. Herbert can. And the, the the other one is a similar thing, right? That is a guy that's not wide the hell open. Herbert just sees it coming and when he puts his life force into a throw like her, like Tua has to do for basically every pass. Laser he can beam. fire a laser into a tight window. You're like, okay, but then why is your average depth of target six yards? Like, why are we not doing this more often? I you feel- can fit it into a window that not many other quarterbacks can. Why are we not taking more of those shots? I feel like I'm, uh, contra- I contradict myself sometimes because you have like a Trevor Lawrence who's capable of making those throws, and I, I'm like, oh, give him the easy stuff. You got to give him. Now, Herbert's getting the easy stuff, so to speak. He's working the underneath game, and I want him. I, I want those quarterbacks to just find that balance where you're tapping into incredible arm strength and arm talent, but also giving them enough outlets that they're just going to, you know, not have to just hit a deep out every single time. Yeah, so, like I don't there's want a to... balance to be had, I think, for this Chargers right. offense. Like the. The risk is you go too far in the other direction and all you're doing is trying to make hero passes every single drop back. And obviously you don't want that either. But right now, we're too far on the conservative side of things. And when you have the obvious like arm talent that he has, 
it's one thing if you have a quarterback playing like that and they're Alex Smith or Tua or, you know, even Joe Burrow or whoever it is with like a not amazing skill set. And you're like, yeah, I mean, I can I can see why we're playing this way. But when you have Herbert and when he's playing that way, every game, there's one or two passes in there where you're like, God, that's insane. Yeah. Why are you like we're, we're not criticizing the Chargers for scoring 41 points against the Steelers? Just looking forward, and your initial point was right. I'm not even criticizing. Didn't I'm, solve everything necessarily. I'm simply saying, to what extent was this a product of Pittsburgh's defense just giving them this type of performance? Like Buffalo a week ago, stomped on the Jets, and you're like, "Wow, Buffalo is perfect again. The offense is amazing." Like, yeah, look, but like none of the things that are ha- none of the problems within the Buffalo offense could possibly manifest against a Jets defense that is that terrible. Effectively, this performance, good as it was, was meaningless. So all I'm saying is, as good as this performance was for the Chargers offense, and it was very, very good, I don't know that it answered any of the questions we had about this offense four days ago. Big Ben, um, I think the Steelers' offense, I mean, it looks nice because they had a bunch of short fields and all that stuff. Big Ben had three turnover-worthy plays, none of which... Actually seemed to matter. Tried to throw two picks. Got dropped. Fumbled. Got the ball back. But this offense goes as Deontay Johnson and Chase Claypool go. Both of those guys made some big plays. Deontay is becoming pretty legit as far as catching the ball down the field, creating after the catch. But overall, this Steelers offense is just lacking. Um, They had a fourth and a million to to finish the game. And Big Ben checked down again. It was amazing. (laughs) It was literally, what, fourth and 36 to end the game. And he tried to throw a five-yard in cut. Yeah. I mean, look, was- fourth and 36, there's a limited number of plays in the playbook for that. On the other hand, I don't understand why all of their fourth down plays appear to be like the maximum amount of yardage we can pick up here is like four. Anyway, um, Chris mentioned it a lot on the broadcast. I mean, Big, Big Ben did – he battled COVID all week. He did have um, – he was pretty sick, apparently, um, throughout the week. And uh, – same excuse we would make for an Aaron Rodgers when you don't get to practice and all that stuff, right? I mean, it's it's a challenge, but Big Ben has done that a ton throughout his career. Yeah. The guy rarely practices, and maybe rest is actually good for him. But it seems like he was battling some symptoms and all that stuff. So, Yeah, and, and COVID is one of the – like, it's it's got such a wide variety of effects. We It's, it's very hard to know, does it affect anybody at this point? Not, not like – when you have a guy who has COVID, it's impossible to know where he is on the spectrum in right. terms of did it affect him. Like right. he could be 100% right now and Ben Roethlisberger is just a bad quarterback at this point in his career. Or he could be still with the lingering after effects of COVID that might last the entire season. And Ro- like Roethlisberger is not going to be 100% of whatever his capacity is from this point on. We have no earthly idea. So as I said earlier, Chargers moved to 6-4. and four. Steelers 5-4-1. and one. Huge game when it comes to the playoff picture. Down the road. Both teams are uh, hashtag in the hunt. Yes. In the AFC. Yes, they are. I think Mike Clay posted in the NFC, all but the Lions are uh, yeah. either in the lead or within two games of the wild card. Right. Literally every team, including the Seahawks. So, yes. Should be a fun second half of the season. Hold those mock drafts. We still have football to be played. Unless you're the Lions. Unless you're the Lions. Look at those mock drafts. NFL Pod is your promo. 25% off. Go do it right now. Give us that thumbs up on YouTube if you're live. We appreciate everybody for tuning in and listening. And again, we will be back on Wednesday. And it won't be just a you know random show. It's going to be previewing all of the Week 12 games, including the Thanksgiving games. We have four on Thursday. Well, that does make me realize that the master plan of like deferring the the charity thing to Wednesday because our Wednesday show is more open doesn't make any sense at all didn't even as you were saying that I figured 
you're not making any sense. And you just decided not to let, tell me that. Maybe we should do a daily. No, we can do a daily. On no. It. no. We'll do it on Wednesday. It's just that Wednesday show might be more to do with this than than the preview games. We'll get it all in. We'll figure it <laughs> out. It'll be there. Look, what if we have to go two and a half hours? We go two and a half hours. Do what we the do hell a is Tuesday? that? Do we Does that do never stop this? No. No. Okay. Stop it. Anyway, thanks to everybody for tuning in. Uh, enjoy Monday Night Football. We'll see you guys on Wednesday.